Howdy. Uh, this here old show may contain some cussing, some uh, discussions of a non-biblical nature, and if that sort of thing does not sound like something you'd be interested in listening to, then I would suggest you turn around right now, fella, and uh, just head out the other way. Saloon's down the street. They got some nice girls there. They must be destroyed on sight! Okay, welcome to episode 74 of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. Oh, jeez, excuse me. They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, not They Must Be Destroyed on Burp. I'm well, your host. This <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. I'm your host, Lee, Six Bullets to Hell, Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel Requiem for Gringo Harper. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing quite well, thank you. Yeah, great. We will be talking to Paul as well in a separate conversation. We had to uh, split things up this week, but once we go through our initial sort of reviews of these films, we'll, we'll come back with the... Uh, discussion with Paul as well on what he thought of these things. We're going to be doing three films this time out. We're going to be doing three films from Lee Van Cleef, non-Leone Spaghetti Westerns, as we continue our Spaghetti Western series. And uh, yeah, we don't really have all that much in the way of house cleaning. We have one comment to get to, and that's it. CB Fall comes in and says, for the last episode we did, really interesting podcast. Never seen the sequel to Django, and to me it's very unnecessary. So there you go. Sure. <laughs> he he's actually listening to the show. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, you know, I I, I laid odds to get that and gets that at the beginning, but uh, you know, no, uh, nice to nice to hear we have a new fan. Always yeah. always pleasant. Always appreciated. Yep. Yeah. I'm kind of assuming neither of us really have anything else we need to talk about that we watched this week. Uh, no, I don't have anything. Yeah, I don't either. Three spaghetti westerns that I ended up like watching like two or three of them. Well, two of them like three times this week. Yeah, <laughs> nice. no, no, no other time to watch anything else. So yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. But yeah, we're going to be talking about Mr. Lee Van Cleef, who uh, by the time spaghetti westerns came out, his career was kind of dead. Um, he was in semi-retirement uh, after a really bad accident, automobile accident, and the roles had dried up for him quite a bit. But uh, the Italians threw some money his way, and he went over there and became a big, big star again and starred in about 20 or so uh, Spaghetti Westerns uh, and used his unique look to uh, his advantage because uh, you got to say there's no one else who looks like Lee Van Cleef. He's a pretty... Uh, Singular, singular gentleman, which is which is kind of ironic because early on, and when he started in Hollywood doing uh, westerns, he was told that he could get better roles if he would only get a nose job, and he refused to do it. So he had uh, prominent roles as like second bad guy to the left. You know, he's the first guy you see in High Noon. Uh, yeah. yeah, but but he never really had big fame until uh, the Spaghetti Westerns came along. Obviously, I've seen the uh, Leon the you know Memento name trilogy, and I've seen him in, in some other stuff. I've seen High Noon, and uh, he's in uh, the man with uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance. Yes, uh, for like you know three minutes or something. Yeah. You know, but uh, you know, you you look at that, and he's he's clearly not being utilized in the way that I mean, you know, the spaghetti westerns are going to utilize him, and in the way these three films. I mean, this was I mean really a revelation for me because I hadn't seen any of these three films before um, watching this, and my God, he's such a magnetic. Uh, personality and said so much fucking charm. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know he he carries the the film like even when you don't really know what's going on, 
he carries it regardless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we're going to start with our first one here from 1967, Death Rides a Horse. Directed by Giulio Petroni, who uh, has done a couple spaghetti westerns that I, before now, I'd never heard of, and I've definitely never seen. Tipipa from 1969, Night of the Serpent from 1969, Life is Tough, A, Providence from 1972, and A Sky Full of Stars for a Roof, 1968. So I'm actually going to have to try to investigate some of these now. Written by Luciano Vinsoni, who actually did basically some like rewrites and uh, first first runs at scripts and stuff for uh, Leone's uh, stuff, Fistful of Dynamite, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and for a few dollars more. So he, you know, he was he's been working in the industry for quite a while, and this is one of the first projects where you got to be like the full fledged uh, writer of it. So it stars Lee Van Cleef as Ryan, John Philip Law, who a uh, big star in his own right, or was, as Bill uh, Mesita, uh, Mario Brega as Walcott's henchman in Waistcoat. That's quite the uh, title for a role. Luigi Pistilli, who is a big well-known face in Spaghetti Westerns. Uh, actually, we're going to see him next episode as well. Anthony Dawson as Burt Canova. Jose Torres as Pedro, Franco Balducci as Scarifo, Bruno Corazari as Walcott's bartender, and Felicity Fanny, that's quite the name, as uh, Martita. And uh, I'll let you get into the synopsis here, Daniel. A young boy watches helplessly as his parents are brutally murdered by a group of four bandits, each with a distinctive feature that burns itself into the boy's memory. Fifteen years later, this boy is Bill, portrayed by John Philip Law, and is a blonde-haired gunslinger with a heart of gold. In a completely separate plot thread, another gunfighter named Ryan Lee Van Cleef finishes a prison sentence and goes on the hunt for his former gang members who put him there. Did I say unrelated? My mistake, because it turns out that the gang that killed Bill's parents is the same as the one that sent Ryan up the river. What a coincidence. <laughs> the two will cross paths several times during the film, building an uneasy, uneasy alliance and a sort of mentor-protege relationship, as Ryan helps Bill become a more experienced gunfighter, and Bill helps Ryan by saving his ass a couple of times. 
They slowly worked through the four members of the gang, with Ryan demanding 15000 from each, 1000 for each year he was in prison, and a few twists and turns later we end up with a finale involving Bill being buried to the neck in sand, an attempted ambush turn standoff, and the revelation that there were not four men present the night that Bill's parents were killed, but five. Any guesses about who the fifth was? In the end, the two men decide that their camaraderie and friendship means more than their past, and all is well with the world. Yeah. First, first off, I'll say that the print that uh, I found on YouTube, this is the first time I've ever seen this film clear, that it, that it, where it actually looked good. <laughs> yeah, I, I really thank you for sharing that with me, because I was uh, going to watch the version of this on Amazon Prime, and boy, that looks like shit. Um, that's a like pan and scanned, uh, just really shitty, shitty print. And, uh, you know, I was just going to kind of watch it, but uh, then I saw the version you shared, and I don't know, this looks way, way better. So if you haven't seen, I mean, I would not have believed it could look this clear. Yeah. Seeing um, the version that was on Amazon. Because I have uh, seen several sort of public domain releases of this that just over the years have looked like shit. And as much as I've kind of liked this film over the years, uh, I have not liked it more, more than I have now. Watching it this time out was a revelation for me almost. It's just amazing how much you miss uh, if you watch it in those old shitty VHS rips and stuff that just, it's just totally different. It's night and day. I really like this film quite a bit. It's one of my favorite Van Cleef films of all time. And I think the plot just works really well here. Like it, it definitely, like you said, there's that mentor thing of the old gunfighter and then, and the young gunfighter. This is sort of a trope that, Lee Van Cleef was almost uh, typecast into in Spaghetti Westerns for the most part. Like, he, he did several films where it was this sort of idea. Stems right back to uh, For a Few Dollars More, where he's Colonel Mortimer with Clint Eastwood as his uh, Man of No Name character. So he, so he does that sort of same thing here. And, I mean, he, he does it effortlessly. But, yeah, what, what are your sort of uh, initial thoughts of this one, Daniel? This is a kind of a minor masterpiece. I really enjoyed this, uh, kind of going through it. I, I kind of... I kind of uh, poo-poo the plot a little bit, just because, I mean, it is this kind of convoluted thing. I mean, it's really, um, this is not a film that I necessarily want to even, like, talk that much about, because mm-hmm. there's not much going on. I mean, it's kind of, you know, okay, it's it's a film, it's uh, kind of about this mentor-mentee relationship, it's a film that's kind of um, about this uh, revenge plot, but it, it's really, um, it's about watching these two men's performances, yeah. And it's about, like, I mean, if there was ever a film that was basically built on the fact that these two dudes look really awesome and have really <laughs> good abilities to uh, sling a gun around in really cool ways, this is that film. You know, John Philip Law, I actually um, know him, really, I only know him from Barbarella. And yeah. so this was really like, oh, my God, this guy is, is really fucking good. Like, at first, watching this, you know, it's like, oh, this is a Lee Van Cleef movie. And then, oh, this blonde kid, he's just going to be this kind of, like, douchebag, you know, this kind of wandering around, you know. And then, like, no, he's actually he's a, he's a really cool character, really kind of compelling guy. Um, he really has his own personality. He has his own, like, force of will. Um, he gets the better of Lee Van Cleef a couple of times, and they kind of have a little back and forth. I mean, there's this real contentious relationship between yeah. them. Um, and, and they each kind of have their own strengths and weaknesses. And, um, you know, as you kind of see the film move forward, you really see this relationship grow. And it really is built on their kind of budding friendship in a way. I mean, it really is that story. And everything else, I mean, the, uh, the, the four aces guy and the card playing and the, you know, you know all the other stuff is, uh, is kind of just set dressing for to deliver that to us, you know. I think one of the biggest criticisms I see of this film is that people complain that John Philip Law is really wooden in this, and I totally disagree. I don't think he's wooden at all. I think he portrays a guy who was traumatized as a kid 
who has this smoldering anger, like burning inside him, and he's yeah. barely keeping it contained. And I mean, he's very cold and emotionless in a way, but for a very specific reason. And I think his performance is actually really good in this. I think it might be one of those things. That, I mean, you've seen the, the the shitty versions more than I have. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it may be that like seeing it in this kind of good quality version that I got to see it under. I mean, I really admired his. Um, I mean. It, just you see him next to I mean no one looks good next to Lee Van Cleef right yeah. like Lee Van Cleef is a charming ass motherfucker yeah so you're, you're you're definitely kind of drawn to him much more so than you're drawn to John Philip Law but John Philip Law absolutely carries his sections of the film you know he's definitely has this personality he really has a a compelling screen presence I buy him completely in the film I don't at first he seems like a little bit of a pretty boy kind of you know mm-hmm. this you know western but like as you as you kind of move on it's like yeah he's kind of this golden haired boy who, who's just kind of coming into his manhood in this you know kind of way and he's he's definitely um inexperienced but he has his own force of will and he definitely owns the sections of the film that he's in um i i really admired both of these men's performances you know yeah and uh speaking on the relationship there uh you mentioned a, a good point where the, these two come together with mutual respect. There, there's a there's a part in the film where uh, Lee Van Cleef says, "If you know, if I was to ever have a son, I'd want him to be like you." Mm-hmm. And and there's a sense of this character who's had 15 years of his life taken away, uh, working hard labor in prison. He's trying his damnedest to sort of right the wrongs, you know, like get his revenge, but at the same time, you know, try to carve out some little bit of a life that he's basically watched pass by because of his own mistakes. So, you know, he, he's making that connection. The, that 15 years where he could have had a kid, you know, and settled down, they've been taken away from him. He's an old man now. He can't he can't do that anymore. So uh, there there is some uh, little bit deeper, like, character depth there than uh, some people might have picked up, like you said, watching the old shitty versions of this film where these details get lost in the... Uh, fucking blurry washed out fucking prints and uh, choppy fucking yeah. editing and yeah and, and with a kind of muddy sound and everything i mean you know, yes. this, you know I, definitely if you can if you see this seek it out on it with a good print like you know yeah. it's not it, it's i mean i'm not gonna say it's not worth seeing if you only watch a shitty print but it's kind of not worth seeing if you only see yeah. a shitty print do you think that it's obvious that uh lee van cleef was one of the people who killed his parents from the beginning I don't. I think they keep it in the dark well enough for a while. I, I, I mean, I think it comes pretty becomes pretty obvious as you get about halfway through the film. But that's if you're really just really paying attention. I, I feel like it is left fairly ambiguous for a little while. But after a while, you start to put two and to two together. Like, there's no way he can't be part of the gang during that night. At first, I kind of thought to myself, okay, he's been in prison for 15 years. He might have been put in prison and turned on by that gang before they went to the ranch and killed everybody, right? But then you think back, okay, there's that one guy who saved John Philip Law's character from from the fire or whatever. So you put two and two together, you go back to it, and it's like, oh, it's fucking obvious. But I think the movie does a good enough uh, job of, like, distracting you from it. Sure. That that you can you know you can go along for a little while and you don't pick up on it. And again, at the same time, this this sort of central mystery here isn't all that important. It's it's much more the relationship between the two characters. And once you realize that uh, Lee Van Cleef had some sort of hand in that uh, night, uh, it's much more interesting to see where the two characters are going to end up, how they're going to resolve that issue. So that's more the strength of the I, film, I think. 
I, I found I, I, the reason I asked you is because you know I, I kind of watched it in you know I only watched this once I watched all three of these films once this week so I didn't watch mm-hmm. them multiple times unfortunately um, because I definitely want to revisit these when uh, you see um, Lee Van Cleef at the uh, graves of the parents mm-hmm. and he's kind of like like to me that's like a dead giveaway you know that, yeah. that 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 he was there and I honestly watching that scene I thought I had just missed him in the beginning of the film or something yeah. Like I went like, oh, I want to rewind it to actually catch catch the bit. I had assumed, oh, we were given that piece of information and I just missed it. And then like realized, no, 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 we weren't. It really was kind of meant to be ambiguous. But to me, it was kind of such a like dead glaring giveaway. Like, oh, no, this guy really was there. The reason that we're cutting between these two characters is because they're clearly going to be connected in some way. So, you know, yeah. there's a little bit of a kind of genre savviness I just kind of brought to this um, to, to some degree. But, um, yeah, the film definitely kind of plays with the idea. It really doesn't shove it in your face uh, quite quite yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it doesn't rely on that being a secret either. You yeah. know, I mean, I, I think it works either way. But I definitely think that, like, once you kind of watch Van Cleef's performance knowing that, uh, it really is one of those. It deepens my my uh, respect for him as an actor because you really see it in his face. You really see it in his performance. That this is something that that he legitimately is uh, torn up over. That that yeah. he has come yeah. back to this kid like specifically to you know make amends to some degree. And and uh, later on he, he even uh, offers himself like a, mm-hmm. you can, yeah. let me let me help you out. Let me let me get rid of these bad guys. Then you can kill me. It's fine. Yeah. But let me you know save you first. So clearly, um, Paul Thomas Anderson had seen this film when he wrote Heart Eight. You know, and that's all. You know, that's <laughs> which has a very similar dynamic going on in a lot of ways. You know, yeah, it's interesting. This film kind of where a lot of spaghetti westerns kind of ape Yo Jimbo. Uh, this, at the end, this kind of apes Seven Samurai, where they mm. they get to that little that little compound village, whatever you want to call it. Uh, where the the villagers are there, and they sort of turn them into a little small army to defend <laughs> against the uh, the gang of uh, outlaws. Although that doesn't work too well for the villagers <laughs> because most of them get killed as well. But uh... <laughs> everybody dies, but our heroes live, so everything's good, right? Like uh-huh. you know, come on. I was really impressed also with how far this film goes in some ways, mm-hmm. um, in terms of uh, some of the character bits. And um, I mean, there there is a rape sequence at the beginning of this film that's yeah. that's pretty harsh. My wife was definitely like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> you know, because she, she watched the beginning of the film. It is. I, I would argue it's more brutal than the uh, gun down of the family in uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. I, I'd say it's even it's even worse. So yeah, yeah. no, it's it's definitely it's definitely on that on that uh, spectrum. And then later on, there's a sequence where like a bunch of the the bandits are uh, you know basically like raping the Mexican women. Yeah. Um, although that doesn't quite go, that doesn't go nearly as far. But I mean, you yeah. know, really. I mean, you really get in the beginning, like the the violence of that sequence is absolutely. I mean, you understand why that would be burning that kid's brain, mm-hmm. and um, you just, I, I'm just really happy for the kid that the members of that gang all had really clearly identifying yes. features yes. that they kept for the next 15 years. You know, nobody, the dude never changed his earring in 15 years. That's pretty impressive, I gotta say. It's, yeah. it's highly convenient, isn't it? But yeah, yeah it, it, it goes sort of back to the uh, the idea though that even though these a lot of these guys in this gang have sort of bought themselves into uh, wealth and high society. They don't change being the same people that they were back then. Cause Lee Van Cleef even mentions, uh, he, he runs into a couple of them where they, the, they've each got like fucking guns at the bottom, bottom drawer of their desk. And he's like, you guys don't change at all. You know, it's your same guys I knew 15 years ago, you know? So, yeah, yeah. no, there's definitely that sense of uh, these guys, these guys have like made good lives for themselves 
these two these two men kind of come as like avenging angels in a way you know mm-hmm. there is there is this sense you know the sins of your past you're going to catch back up with you and it just turns out that it's if Levi and Cleef is after you you might as well just give up but yeah you might as well just uh, quit <laughs> John Philip Law John Philip Law is just the cherry on that Sunday you know in a yeah. way. <laughs> it's just like all right fuck we're screwed now you know I was uh, also just just as long as I'll, I'll say one other nice thing about uh, John Philip Law. Like I was really impressed by his gun skills. Like at the beginning, yeah. you know, like yeah, I mean, it is one of those things to where, and I hate. I, I know I mentioned it earlier, but so many films you kind of see people doing normal activities, doing things on screen. Like the performance may be fine, but they just don't seem quite comfortable. Like with mm-hmm. the actual like activity they're doing. Um, particularly when it's like, you know, like handling guns or, or that sort of thing. These two actors both seem to be incredibly comfortable on camera with their uh, their gunslinging skills. Like, it seems like to me as someone who is not, I mean, I'm not a gun owner, but, you know, watching them, they feel very, very natural to me. And yeah. that, it shows. I mean, it really it plays in the film, you know. Yeah, and it's interesting because when John Philip Law was uh, brought into this, uh, he had no training with that sort of thing or horse riding as well. He had to learn those things as he as he got this role. So uh, he picked it up like a natural, like basically. Yeah. So it was, it was very impressive. So the original title for this was "Duel in the Wind," and Lee Van Cleef kind of said, "Fuck that," and he wanted he wanted to be called a man to man, and I think they did retitle it that for a while, but then even then the Italian producers immediately kind of nixed that and changed it. And it eventually became Death Rides a Horse. And I think that's a better title anyway. Like, I think that works. It's it's funny how many of these, and, and I mean, really, I, I kind of run into the issue, I'm running into the issue with, with the series where all the titles are kind of running together in my head. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hold on, is this one for the apocalypse? Or is this, no, 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 okay, Grant, no, 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 this one is Death Rides a Horse. Okay, I got it. Because it's sort of the same, you know, sorts of themes come back over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's slightly generic titles, but um, no, I, I like the title on this. It's a, it's a very evocative phrase, you know, death rides a horse, yeah. and you know, you're, you know, there are two men who are riding horses who are kind of death personified, and so there is that sort of that sort of sense. Um, yeah, no, I, I enjoy. It. I, was, I do think that man to man is a is a great title for the uh, gay porn version of this. <laughs> 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 the gay porn parody, you know, like uh, yeah, uh, I, I think um, uh, Morricone's uh, score kind of fits that as well. Like it, it's a very kind of uh, in- encroaching, impending doom kind of idea with the main title, uh, especially. I, I really, my, I mean, you know, I, I I think I tweeted out. I'm like, you know, oh, it's not a spaghetti western without a Morricone score for me. Like you've got to have, <laughs> or, or a Bakalov. I'll, I'll grant you a Bakalov, but you yeah. know, if you're not, if you don't have one of those two, then I just it feels like it doesn't doesn't feel quite spaghetti western to me, you know. So uh, I was I was happy to get a, a nice Morricone here at the for uh, Death Rides a Horse, definitely. Yeah, and of course uh, Quentin Tarantino stole the main title for uh, Kill Bill. He stuck it in there, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's more popular for the kids these days. The kids re- recognize it because they heard it on a Quentin Tarantino film. But uh, uh, well, it will definitely when we get to the Grand Duel, I'll talk about that a lot because, like, yeah. you know, um, but yeah. Uh, DVD info for this one, um, of course, mostly public domain. If you see a public domain print of this, just avoid it. Don't even fucking buy it. I don't care if it's a dollar in a fucking dollar bin. Don't even do it because if you can still find the YouTube version that we watched, you're better off served that way because they're all pretty much full screen pan and scan. I have not seen a good one. I have not seen, I've seen slightly better than the shitty one I saw before, but I've not seen a good one. So uh, uh, avoid those at all costs. 
There are uh, some good releases, though. There was a release in 2011 from a company called Wild East that is a bundle of Death Rides a Horse and A Reason to Live, A Reason to Die. Uh, And apparently that's an Amazon.com exclusive that you can get. And MGM released a UK version of this that is apparently really good in 2005, but you have to have a Region 3 player to do that. And probably most most of you uh, people these days probably have Region 3 players. I think I'm probably the only person who doesn't have one anymore, but, you know. I bought one this year because some of the Doctor Who DVDs I needed were not available yeah. on Region yeah. One anymore. So uh, you know, so yeah, now I own one, but you know, not until this year. But yeah, yeah, but yeah no, uh, it's good stuff. I, I mean, this this would be worth a purchase, you know, for a really good print of it. You know, I would I would definitely recommend it. Definitely, definitely. Okay, now we can move on to Sabata from 1969. Hey! A pistol that shoots two ways. And a look that means you're dead before you draw. and the gun are one called Zapata. Directed by Gianfranco Perolini and written by Gianfranco Perolini and Renito Izzo. Uh, And they worked on the entire Sabata trilogy. And also um, Renito Izzo wrote Night Train Murders, which is a film we're going to be covering in October. So uh, that should be fun. Uh, This is starring Lee Van Cleef as Sabata, William Berger as Banjo, uh, Ignazio Spala as Carincha, uh, Aldo Canti as Indio, uh, Franco Rissel as Stingle, Antonio Garadoli as Ferguson, and Linda Veres as Jane. And uh, I'll let you get into the uh, synopsis there, Daniel. The titular Sabata, Lee Van Cleef, is a man of mystery who waltzes into a town to foil a bank robbery that is being performed by a large crew that includes a group of acrobats from Virginia. Yes, acrobats. Sabata doesn't let that slow him down at all, mind you, as his skills with the ranged weapon in this film supersede even those of Clive Owen and Shoot'em Up. There's $100,000 in the safe that was captured by the team of acrobats, and when Sabata returns it to the town, he is offered ten grand as reward, which he accepts. It turns out, though, that shadowy forces are at work, and the bank crew was funded by a wealthy railroad magnate looking to buy the town so he can run a railroad through it, and Sabata is only getting in the way. The magnate and his rich asshole friends send a series of killers after Sabata, terrified that he won't play ball with them, and we get a whole line of quite impressive action sequences involving Sabata taking down hired killers. 
Not Sabetta alone, of course, as he's joined in his quest for a kind of justice by Carentia, a sort of Falstaff of the Old West who's simultaneously a comic drunk and the deadliest person around with a knife. Carentia brings his silent pal, Alley Cat, who has a highly impressive acrobatic prowess of his own, and the trio are joined by Banjo, who keeps a gun hidden in his musical instrument and who may or may not be all he claims to be. Does the film end with the final duel between Sabata and Banjo? Eh, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, this is this is a lot of fun. This is um, this is where spaghetti westerns were going in the late '60s. They were sort of moving away from the Leone stuff. They were going more towards uh, comedy, and they were getting a big, hefty dose of spy movies. Basically, they were kind yeah. of starting to rip, rip, really rip off from the James Bond kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you see that in this character. And this is uh, actually kind of a not so much a reaction directly to those as it was a reaction to another character called Sartana, who came before this and was a big hit. Lee Van Cleef, he, look, he kind of looks like his Colonel Mortimer character from For a Few Dollars More. But he's essentially playing Sabata as this gunslinger who has impeccable aim, like, he just doesn't fucking miss at all. There's there's no question about it. He I mean, has... He's basically a gun-toting superhero in this. Like, there's no like there, there's no reality to this at all. No. He's it... completely impossibly accurate with a rifle or a pistol yeah. or anything. He has gimmicks. He has hidden guns. He has uh, special weapons. And the villains in this have special weapons as well, which, which is actually a bit more unique uh, genre-wise. But, uh, yeah, um, what, what are your initial thoughts on this one, Daniel? This is a ton of fun. Um, I watched this this afternoon, uh, which is why I wasn't here for the earlier recording because I hadn't yeah. finished watching this yet. Yeah, especially with uh, a lot of the more serious stuff, a lot of the more um, kind of you know uh, dirty, aggressive. I mean, you compare this to something like the original Django, and it's night and day difference. You mm-hmm. know, there's no real sense of <laughs> urgency, or there's no real sense no. of like danger. There's no real sense of uh, this. This is just straight up. Let's sit down and watch Lee Van Cleef be a badass for two hours. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's what it is. Uh, you get you got your great uh, Karinchi character who's uh, a lot of fun as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you got a dude who's got a gun hidden in a banjo. Which yep. you know, how are you ever going to say no to that? You know, that's definitely a thing. Um, you have a completely silent Native American acrobat character who apparently has hidden trampolines all around the um, the uh, the town there. Or he's got, like, fucking uh, hydraulic fucking knees or something like that. <laughs> yeah, something like yeah. that, yeah. Um, I, th- there were sequences in this film that made me think it was a Mario Brothers, you know, put yeah, together, really. you know, in terms of, like, jumping from platform to platform. You know, any anytime, anytime you have a, a character with uh, this kind of preternatural aim uh, going up against a, a team of acrobats, you're definitely not in a, a serious movie universe mm. anymore. And um, just enjoying this, you know, Open up a little bit of a beverage of your choice. Make up some popcorn. Uh, sit and enjoy this film. This is this was a, a lot of fun. This is definitely the least of the three that we watched this week, but it, it was thoroughly enjoyable. I would absolutely. I mean, this is this is the sort of thing where I want to show this to people and go like, let's see how much fun a western from 1969 can be. You know, just mm-hmm. because it is. It's light as a feather. There's nothing serious going on at all. And it's just cool uh, little action shots, you know. I, I love when they're they're hiring the dude who's like the uh, like his mom is like saying, "Go go get the money, go get the money," yeah. you know. And um, he he hires the guy, and the guy's like, "Oh yeah, look at me, look at how how well I can shoot." And then the uh, Sabata just takes him out in like three seconds. It's just over, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, nobody 
none of the villains, at least, are in any danger of getting one up on Sabata because he's about eighteen fucking steps ahead of everybody at every time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the the movie is not designed to have any sort of real tension or wonder if the good guys are going to win. It's it's let's see how fucking cool Lee Van Cleef can be because he's yeah. he's just a badass who fucks with everybody in this film. He just at his leisure, he fucks with people, and it's fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's just completely, uh, he just waltzes through it, right? I mean, it's, yeah. just, it's complete. Uh, I did uh, really admire, and, and when you say James Bond, it, like, clicks in my head, like, the uh, the sequence with the, or the, the pair of sequences with the um, dueling uh, devices there, the... Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the, yeah, what do you call that? The, the, some kind I, don't of like... even, I, I don't think I've ever seen in a reference to that anywhere else. Like I, I'm almost wondering if that's unique to that film. I have, I've never seen so, it. Before. So it's like this setup where like they duel from behind these like metal, you know, like statue like figurines, and so the whole thing is like you have to like fire through a certain hole in order yep. to like, and you only have one shot. So uh, it's a I mean, it's it's just kind of visually fascinating. I mean, I, I this is really I mean, all three of these, but but particularly Sabata, really well directed as well. I will I will definitely oh, yeah. say like um you know that that sequence um you know it, it would be really easy. I mean, you kind of think about some of these you know kind of <laughs> low budget westerns where they're just kind of shot with you know they stick they 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 put a camera down on sticks and you know point it in the general yeah. right direction. This isn't that. I mean, you really get this kind of strong sense of visuals. You really get this kind of particularly during that sequence where you're looking through holes and you have to kind of figure out what's going on without, they're not telling you, you have to kind of be able to actually watch mm-hmm. it. Um, there's a lot of really interesting kind of visual direction here. Nothing that's like, you know, earth shattering, but for the genre, for the time period, for the budget, really, really effectively done. Um, and it just kind of adds to the, just kind of like eye candy of it. I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's almost like, it's almost like that's as far as I go with this. It's just this sort of cool eye candy movie. Um, yeah, it, it it feels like some of these movies these days that are like criticized as being all style over substance, but this one just works on a different level. I, I feel like it, it, it's sort of like a Robert Rodriguez movie before Robert Rodriguez was doing movies, right? Like, yeah, no, no, this is. I mean, particularly when you're talking about like again a rifle and a banjo, like clearly yeah. Desperado. You know, Robert Rodriguez had not seen this film before he wrote Desperado. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. and uh, the, the character of Banjo, William uh, Berger, who was also a big name spaghetti westerns for quite a while. I mean, he was actually in the uh, official Django sequel as the old gunfighter at the beginning of the film. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, because he, he doesn't look it here, but he was actually pretty old at this point. He was, like, in his late 40s, I think, at this point. So he, he looks he looks a little bit like a dude in a wig. Like, I'm not, I mean, yeah. I, there's a little bit of a sense of, like, a like some kind of name actor, like, putting on a bad wig just to, uh, like, play this role. I mean, I that might have been his role here. I don't know. But it, it definitely looks like, you know, it, there's a little bit of a fakiness to it, which I think, for me, it was just charming because it just kind of well, played up the, the unreality of this scenario even more. And it, it plays to his character, too, because he's just, like, really roguish, troubadour kind of bard character who's also kind of a scumbag. I mean, the the way this guy treats the female characters in this... Yeah. Poor yeah, Jane. It's just, Poor Jane. Yeah. Jane's like, oh, we're going to run off together. And he, and he lets her pack up. And and, yeah. and, and, and I'm like, no, I wasn't taking you, bitch. Go, like, you yeah. know, it was just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, oh god. I said I was just passing through, and and that's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, 
He's a bit bigger of a scumbag than Sabata and his buddies, so he's the one you don't root for. <laughs> right, right. Oh, he's a total douchebag. I mean, you know, Sabata, you know, Sabata's just kind of, you know, he's out for, he's out, he's looking to make some money, but he's not a bad guy, you know? Like, this is, well, you know. Well, they, they hint they hint that uh, Sabata and Banjo knew each other in the, in right, the past. Right. So it's like, Banjo's like, I don't recognize you, Sabata. You're not like he used to be. So you, you get the right. idea that Sabata's kind of mellowed in his old age. He's a bit more reformed. Yeah, and, and I... He used I, to be a righteous bastard, bastard, and now he's kind of going off and uh, righting wrongs, you know, and just kind of, you know, yeah. making some money on the side. But I, I think Berger almost kind of... Uh, he almost threatens to steal the film away from Lee Van Cleef to a certain extent here because he's just really good. Like, And then he's the only real guy that you kind of buy as maybe a threat to Sabata because yeah. you, you get that sequence where uh, this gang of people who are looking for him finally catch up to him in the town and he has to fight them out in the streets there and then he just... He pulls off that nice little stunt sequence with his fucking gun and his banjo and wipes them all out. <laughs> right, right, yeah. No, which is a fun sequence. It's a nice mm-hmm. little, you know, again, well-directed. Um, it's a lot of fun. You know, again, for the budget, for the time, nobody did that better. Like, I mean, yeah. that's 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 about as well as that can be done at that time. To me, this is just this is just straight up nicely produced action filmmaking, you know. Yeah. And it's a reminder that, I mean, I, I think we, we kind of, I mean, you know, certainly I, I, don't, I won't speak for you, but certainly I kind of focus on, like, look at the... <laughs> look at these films for kind of what they're trying to say and what they're meaning in, you know, these kind of like the, the darker, more elemental stuff that's kind of going on underneath. And this says none of that. This is just no. completely like, this is why this genre was uh, basically the populist genre for 50 years. And, you know, like it's not, there's no, there's no deeper meaning in the, in this film, like at least explicitly. I mean, you could read stuff into it, but it's, it's, this really is just, Let's sit and have a good time and and watch a uh, a fun western story for two hours. You know, yeah. And I really love the Carincha character. I mean, yeah, he it could have gotten grating. I mean, there there was a real potential for that. But um, I really love this guy. I mean, I, I compared him to Falstaff in the uh, you know, I started yes. having like Falstaff Prince Hal. Like, can we can we make this metaphor? Is there like a Shakespeare illusion going on in here? Because <laughs> it's so obviously like he's got the hair and he's got he's a big guy. And he's drinking all the time, and you're kind of yeah. like, yeah. I, can, I mean, there, there's a, there's a little bit of that that kind of like, charming roguish drunk guy, you know? Yeah. And then, and... but this guy throws knives, so you know how how cool is that? I like how basically little things at the beginning of this film pay off in the end. Uh, just with Corinthians' character, where he's he's always complaining about how he's not respected and he's got this medal and he was in these battles back in the war mm-hmm. and stuff. And he's like, everyone's basically, no, your medal's not worth shit. But in the end, it ends up saving him. You know, as right, as right. much of a as much of a Hollywood cliche it is of the bullet hitting the medal and not killing the guy, it pays off for Crenshaw in a way I think works better than ninety percent of the time. So that's really cool. I like how early on you see Sabata, not only his gunplay brilliance, but just the fact that he's he's, he's got this unique way of you know like throwing coins. Like he waves he waves the barmaid away and throws the coin into the into the slot there and, yeah. and that that pays off in the end as well where he uses it to uh trip off the main villain's uh, secret weapon in his little uh scepter there that he's got well you kind of get the sense i mean you know i was i was i'm glad you brought this up because i was going to mention it as well you kind of almost get the sense that it's not just that he's good with guns that he's that good with his hands he has that level of like preternatural control yeah. over like flinging objects and then it just carries on to, to guns. Did you get the impression that during the gambling sequence he could like make it like he rolled a five on purpose? 
Oh yeah, sequence. totally, totally. He, like, he like, 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 like that. That's how good he is. He can literally roll a dice yes. and, and make it yeah. go whatever he wants it to do. Which is, I mean, it, again, it just plays up that like this is completely ridiculous like level of um, control and uh, badassery. But uh, like, oh, yeah, I didn't he, mind it in the slightest. No, he's he's like uh, somewhere between Sean Connery and Roger Moore, James Bond, where you know he can always win at Baccarat. You know, it's like mm. there's no there's no question that he's going to win. It, it's not like Daniel Craig, where he's playing truer to the Bond character, where he's a flawed Bond who's who might lose, who might fuck up. There there's no yeah. fuck up with Lee Van Cleef. No, no, not in this film anyway. You know, yeah, but, yeah. No, he's a uh, no. Th- this was uh, again tons of fun. Uh, I definitely revisit this. I, I mean, again. This is this is like I I now want to see the other two. Mm-hmm. I mean, are the other two this much fun? I'll get into that. Uh, the the sequel Audio Sabata is a Yul Brynner vehicle that mm-hmm. uh, originally was not going to be a Sabata film. They were interested in bringing Lee Van Cleef into it with the success of Sabata. It was basically just an existing script, and we're like, "Hey, Van Cleef, you want to come back?" He's like, "No, I can't do it. I've got other commitments." He was doing um, sequel to The Magnificent Seven at that point, I think. Um, which I, I've never seen those, but I heard they're not that good. But it's interesting. He's playing the character that Yul Brynner played in the original Magnificent Seven, apparently, in, in that thing. But one of those little coincidences. But, um, yeah, it's not nearly as good. It doesn't feel like a Sabata film at all. Uh, he does have a sort of a gimmicky gun, but it's not necessarily a gimmick so much as it, as it is a just a weird, obtuse kind of gun that existed at one point that most people you never used. Right. But yeah, it, it's it's kind of charming, and uh, we will we will get to it, I think, when we revisit this series down the road. But yeah, it's not as good. Then there's a third film called Return of Sabata with Van Cleef actually returning, and I'd say it's not as good as well, because it goes maybe a little too over the top with the... Uh, the stunt work and the unreality of the whole situation. Like it, it goes firmly into more of a straight out comedy, um, sure. which is more close to another character that is sort of famous in the spaghetti Westerns, which is the Trinity character uh, where it becomes what is called basically the uh, circus spaghetti Westerns where it, mm. it just so over the top that uh, um, I, I kind of like it, but it's, it's definitely it almost feels like the lesser of the series, strangely enough, even though the second one isn't even really a Sabata movie, but, uh, yeah. So it might be worth just to stick into the first one for now. Like I was, I was, I I watched it. I was kind of like, yeah, yeah. Like if the other two are this much fun, I totally like, you know, throw it on sometime soon, but you know, I'll wait, I'll wait for us to cover it then if they're not that good, but, uh, but yeah, there there were other sort of unofficial Sabata films as well, uh, just like with Django, where <laughs> the name, <laughs> yeah, uh, Arriva Sabata. There was uh, Watcho Gringo Sabata will return, and uh, there was another one. Oh no, I think those are the other ones. There, 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 there was, it definitely wasn't as bad as Django. You didn't see Sabata thrown all over the place, but there there, there were a few ripoff films from this. As far as the DVD info goes, uh, MGM has a trilogy box set, which I own, which is fantastic. And there's no real special features or anything. It's just the films, bare bones with subtitles and language tracks and stuff. And that's all you really need. That came out in 2006, or you can get the single disc of this uh, outside of the box set for uh, in 2007. Uh, there's also a 2005 UK release of this from MGM. 
and uh, also Kino Lober Video, which also does a lot of really good sort of releases themselves. They buy up like the library library of MGM Spaghetti Westerns and have been releasing stuff. Uh, there's a Blu-ray that was released in 2014 of this, so that's the sort of stuff to look for. Nice. Uh, I will just uh, say just before we move on that the uh, Italian title of this is "Hey, buddy, that Sabata, you're finished!" Exclamation point. <laughs> which really should be the. I mean, it sells the it sells the tone of the film better than uh, just calling it Sabata. Personally, for me, you know. Well, yeah, that, that's pretty much the plot description, anyway, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like to me. I read that uh, title like as I was as I was watching the film. I kind of pulled it up, and I'm like, oh, that's the original. Like, and that means the entire film is basically told through the eyes of uh, Karicha there. Yeah. You know? Like, like you're, you're kind of like, okay, you know, like, and I kind of want, I kind of want him to just be like our, our Greek chorus, like actually telling this story. Like we're <laughs> in reality, we're seeing this like impossibly accurate gunsman, you know, through the eyes of his buddy, who's just telling all these great stories about him. And like the real version wasn't nearly this cool, yeah. but like, you know, yeah, that, like that's, that's, that's sort of the way I, I envision it. You know, it's like, he's telling this folk tale about, about his buddy Sabata, you know? So, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now we can move on to the Grand Duel, or Grand Duel, or the Big Showdown, as it's also known in certain markets, from 1972. I saw who killed old man Saxon. A sheriff can't collect the body from the bandits he kills. kill for money. That's only good for making noise. Just a moment, Marshal. This man was only defending himself. You shouldn't be wearing this anymore. Easy's taking candy from a baby. You think I'd still be alive if I liked to fool around with kids who like to play with guns? Oh, John's blood! Five bucks, it won't wash out! Remove your rope! That man is innocent! No witnesses, not even friends. Sorry, Mr. Jackson. I want to apologize. <laughs> Wait a minute.
Directed by Giancarlo Santi, uh, who is probably well known for being a sort of second unit director for most of the Leone films, and uh, also for Death Rides a Horse. He was he was involved in that as well. So, nice. yeah, and written by Ernesto Gastaldi, starring Lee Van Cleef as Sheriff Clayton, Alberto Dentis as Philip Vermer, Jess Hahn as. Big Horse, the stage driver, Horst Frank as David Saxon, and the patriarch, Samuel Saxon, Klaus Grunberg as Adam Saxon, Antonio Cassell as uh, Hole, the bounty hunter, uh, Mark Mazza as Sheriff Eli Saxon, and Dominique Darrell as Elizabeth. And I'll let you get into the uh, synopsis there, Daniel. A dude who looks like he stepped out of a Beatty's cover band is in hiding with a beautiful girl. <laughs> with assassins training their weapons on him, ready to shoot the second he shows his face. This is Philip Vermeer. Into this powder keg waltzes a sheriff named Clayton, Lee Van Cleef. And when I say waltz, I mean that literally, as he basically walks in, exposes all the shooter's positions, and basically dares them to shoot him. The shooters are after a $3,000 bounty that has been placed on Vermeer's head for supposedly killing the literal patriarch of the film named Saxon. The bounty has been put up by Saxon's three sons named David, Eli, and Adam. Needless to say, Vermeer's role in the death of the Patriarch is less than certain. Mm-hmm. What follows is a fairly complicated series of events. As first, Clayton rescues Vermeer from the terrible situation, only to have Vermeer escape from Clayton himself and be chased down by agents of the Three Brothers. There's a bank robbery somewhere in there, a sequence in which Vermeer is tortured under a waterfall, a massacre of fellow criminals by one of the wealthy asshole brothers, and some strong homosexual undertones. The film ends with an extended sequence in which Clayton reveals that he himself was the killer of the Patriarch, who was a sociopathic murdering bastard who deserved to die, which leads to a shootout between Clayton and the three brothers. Is Clayton a good enough shot to dispatch the three all by his lonesome? Is he played by Lee Van fucking Cleef? <laughs> I gotta say, for me personally, this is the lesser of the uh, three films we uh, we looked at. This, this is the sort of, we're getting into the tail end of Spaghetti Westerns at this point. Uh, they, they're pretty much all played out by, you know, the uh, early, late 70s. But this is kind of a return to form as well, because like we were saying in the previous uh, film, Sabata, we're getting more towards these sort of stunt-heavy uh, circus Spaghetti Westerns with co- a lot of comedy and stuff like that. This one kind of exercises a lot of that, although it does retain the stunt work. Uh, there's quite a few scenes here. Yeah. But uh, yeah, th- this is a film that doesn't hide its uh, central mystery quite as well. And I feel maybe that's maybe the biggest downfall of this film for me. I still like it, but this film for me kind of drags in the middle quite a bit. Like it starts out with a big bang. Like there's this big action sequence. Lee Van Cleef walks in. He's super fucking cool and all the shit happens. And then it sort of slows down for the middle part where after the second flashback sequence, okay, I get it. It's Lee Van Cleef. He killed the patriarch. We know it. Let's get to the end now, and then it takes its time getting to the end. But yeah, what are, what are your initial thoughts on this one? I'll be honest, this one confused me a bit. Like, when I was watching it, I, I wasn't... And, and I mean, partly that's because, you know, I'm kind of watching this, and it's, it's first watch through, and uh, 
you know, it was late and I was, I was had a beer in my hand, you know, kind of watching yeah. through it. And I kind of lost track of like, are we, because I think when I first, you know, I knew the film was called Grand Duel or The Big Showdown. I think the version I watched actually had The Big Showdown as its, okay. as its title, you know. Um, which I think is a better title, honestly. I actually yeah. kind of like that, just as a you know, kind of a, a little bit more of a classic, you know, fifties western almost. You know, kind, yeah, of, well, kind of a, Grand Duel feels more personal, like one on one kind of thing. So yeah. yeah, well, in Grand Duel feels a little bit more like um, like psychological, you know, kind, yes. of, kind of like like almost a psychological horror kind of kind of idea, almost like yeah, a Jalo yeah. or something that like, could have the title Grand Duel. Where Big Showdown just feels like classic Western to me, anyway. Um, <laughs> we get to argue titles on this show because yeah. they all have 15 titles, so we get to yeah. decide which one we like the best. Um, I think watching this because I, I just kind of sit down and I hit play and I don't know anything about it. I just try to watch it and know, you know, just take it as is. I was kind of on that like, oh, so the movie is about a big showdown or a grand duel. And he's walking into this situation. I literally thought the entire film was going to be about this showdown, basically, you know, starting here at the very beginning. Like, eventually he's going to, like, find this guy, and then you're going to end up... It's going to be about this kind of cast of characters all kind of, like, interacting and sort of be like a Bad Day at Black Rock kind of situation or something. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of where I thought the film was going. And so then when, you know, we're kind of like, oh, we kind of see we're kind of moving on from that. And then we see kind of a, a bank robbery. We see, and I'm like, you know, there was a part of me that I was like, did I miss something? And are we in flashback mode here? Or have we got moved on from this? I mean, you know, so um, there's a little bit of connective tissue that I feel like I lost on, on watching it. That said, I, I know that, I know that you kind of think the, the ending kind of um, is telegraphed and extended just a little bit. Um, I actually really liked the ending. Um, I think the film really saved me at the end. It really wants some, um, you know, that piece of music, the Bakalov uh, music, oh, yeah. which was yeah. uh, used also very effectively in Kill Bill, and I know it very well from Kill Bill um, because it's uh, in the – what is now like, oh, that's where Tarantino got that scene from, where the uh, – where the, the Yeah. yeah. Um, Although that's directly, that's directly taken uh, – the, the music's taken from Grand Duel. But the scene is taken from Death Rides a Horse because essentially right. that's Death Rides a Horse. Yeah, no, that, that's what I was going to say. It's essentially the, you know that kind of origin story. This is not the time or the place to have the Tarantino conversation. Yeah. But you know, I'm I'm a big fan of Tarantino. I don't care that he's kind of lifted that because he's doing something else with it. Ultimately, having seen this, it doesn't make me think. Well, clearly Tarantino's a hack. It makes you think. God, he's remixing all this stuff and doing some really interesting stuff with it. So, um, but anyway, so I just love that piece of music. So they could play that. They played yeah. it like eight or nine times in the film. You could have played it 12 or 15 times as far as I was concerned. I actually listened to that piece of music while writing the plot summaries as well. Nice. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I actually listen to Spaghetti Western scores often when I'm at home, when I'm doing stuff. Um, most of the plot summaries are written listening to Morricone's Once Upon a Time in the West score. Yes. That's actually what I'm listening to for most of them. Um, a little behind the scenes there for, for you know, the listening audience of four people. Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, ten now. We established that. <laughs> um, no, I quite like the ending. I really like the kind of cutting to black and white. Um, there's a little bit of a Rashomon kind of thing going on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's not hugely sophisticated, but it's it's there. Um, I kind of like the kind of mixing of genres because it kind of feels a little bit like a crime film. Uh, for a little while, it kind of has a little bit of that. I mean, I don't know. The mystery was not... I mean, I guess I didn't really think about, like, oh, who's it going to be? I just kind of, like... I mean, it, it's fairly obvious that, well, it's got to be the one dude who... <laughs> you know, it, like they're not going to introduce a new character and go, oh, it was such and such, and then suddenly introduce him at the end of the film. I didn't really mind 
though that it that it's kind of you know it kind of has to be Lee Van Cleef. I think it um, just because visually it works for me. You know, sequences are really good. Those flashback sequences, they look fantastic. Right. There, I think this is the richest thematically of the three films. I think that there's, I mean, when you have character, a character literally named the Patriarch, of the last name Saxon, and, you know, <laughs> this kind of like the, the, the three brothers who have their kind of personalities, and there's some um, dynamics kind of going on with them that seem like, I mean, the, the middle of the film is a little bit messy because... Again, you kind of don't quite know what's going on. It feels like there's a lot of kind of running around and not a lot of forward mm-hmm. momentum going on. But I feel like there's an attempt to do something that's kind of thematically interesting, and I just haven't had the chance to tease it out yet. I think it's probably, I mean, it honestly might be my favorite of the three, even oh, though really? I don't. Yeah, I mean, I actually really liked all three of these films. Um, mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, you have two minor masterpieces and then a really fun you know, kind of action film in Zabata. Um, because I really liked Death Rides a Horse, but that was more for like characters. You know, that was more yeah. for I really loved those two characters, and the film was kind of like, oh yeah, the film is the film. But like, I really loved those two actors. I think um, Grand Duel is probably the most ambitious of the three. Whether it succeeds at what it's doing is kind of an, uh, kind of another question. But I really enjoyed it, and I I actually was sitting there watching it, and I'm like. I could see us doing a live com for this because there are so many little moments. I was like, "Oh, I'd love to let joke with Lee about that." You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Grand Duel definitely is the more ambitious film. I mean, it it's directly Giancarlo Santi sort of aping the stuff he learned with Leone mm-hmm. uh, doing second second uh, unit and assistant director stuff. So he, he's kind of aping the style. He's kind of actually bringing the style back because. Yeah. At that point, the sort of Leone stuff was kind of out the window. I, like I said, I, I do like this film. It's just, for me, the middle kind of bogs down a little too much. But, I mean, I still like the performance. Well, I like Lee Van Cleef's performance. I'm not too big on Alberto Dentis. Um, I think he's kind of, like you said, he looks like he should be at a Bee Gees reunion tour or something. But uh, but he, <laughs> I, he he just doesn't he doesn't quite work as well as like a Clint Eastwood or a John Philip Law does in that sort of... Uh, a younger gunfighter kind of... I, I feel like there's an attempt, like, and this is kind of where, you know, we have to kind of, like, take it as, like, the visuals have to speak for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Because in so many of um, these kinds of films, they're, I mean, they're they're set in this imagined past, but they're really talking about some kind of contemporary thing. Mm-hmm. And making this guy look very clearly like a 25-year-old in 1972, you know... Does, and it feels like, I mean, that could just be they just hired a guy and they didn't bother to, like, cut his hair. <laughs> or it could be, like, there there's some attempt to kind of address something. And so I, I feel like, you know, this is kind of, it does kind of make me want to revisit it and go, is there something deeper going on that I just kind of missed that we're getting hints of? Or mm-hmm. is it, you know, or is it just kind of like a, a mess? And I, I, I can't I can't decide. But um, I was fascinated by the film, and it's probably the one I would revisit first if I was going to revisit one. You know, I'd probably rewatch Grand Duel first, just because there's. I feel like a one watch through didn't give me the the full experience of it. I feel like there's more going on than I get on the first watch through. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think the thing I really like about this is the villains, and I feel like they're kind of shortchanged a little bit uh, yep. at the end. Um, I like that they all do have distinct personalities. I mean, uh, Horse Frank manages to, in the in, in silence, pull off the patriarch and make him feel like a totally different character than uh, David Saxon to a certain degree. 
and this this is a uh, Italian German French co-production. So you've got German actors like Horst Frank and Klaus Grunberg in this, you know, to bring the money to the picture essentially. And and Klaus Grunberg who plays, you know, again, another evil homosexual in a, in a spaghetti western. Uh, actually, just like the main villain Sabata as well is another sort of evil yeah. dandy at the very least. You know? the, 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 the limp-wristed, the limp-wristed <laughs> sociopath, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, great, great character. He's got, he's got the uh, chicken pox scars on his face, you yeah, know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's... And man, that that scene where he guns down that old guy, and and yeah. the and then the old guy touches him, and he's more offended and put off by the fact that he's got a blood print on his clean white suit. I guess all three of these also are really kind of about this, you know, this idea of wealth, of, of uh, you know, this accumulation of wealth, mm-hmm. and this kind of coming of um, that civilization brings gold and money with it, but like that this money is like a corrupting influence, or you know, and this film is definitely, I mean, you know, in the sense that our villains are explicitly. You know these rich guys literally plotting in back rooms and like rubbing their hands together. Yeah, easily, you know. I mean, there's yeah, there's a like, lot of that going on. Yeah, you know? he has that little speech like, uh, "Pretty soon we'll have enough money to own this entire state, and then who knows? Maybe there'll be a Saxon in the White House apparently in the, in the future." Yeah, it's like, right, um, yeah. and the fact that they're named Saxon just like it yeah. that can't be a coincidence, right? There yeah. has to be something there, you know. So um, again, there, there's something that, you know. It's it's. Um, yeah, I would say it's trying to be Once Upon a Time in the West, but it's not nearly Once Upon a Time in the yeah. West. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it, it's kind of playing in those same in that same pool, but it's not in any sense like that effective. But you know, not as good as the greatest of the Leone westerns is you know. <laughs> okay, it, that's that's faint praise, right? You know. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, to be fair, I mean. He, the director knows all the tricks, and he, right. for for the most part, he pulls it off. I just think maybe the story's not. Yeah, as yeah. Strong. The, the, the weakness is not on the directing side. I guess I should I should point that out. I mean, the, the direction is phenomenal. I mean, all three of these films are extremely well directed. I, I have no mm-hmm. issue with any of that. Um, and the performances are. I mean, you know, you're right. You're right that you know, a BG looking dude is not uh, is not the strongest performer <laughs> I've ever seen in a film. But um, you know, Van Cleef carries all th- carries all three. Um, beautifully and uh, for the most part it's pretty you know solid you know solid dependable stuff you know for the most part but i mean you know you're right grand duel is like if there is a weakness it is on uh the script and just i mean the fact that i have managed to get lost in this which isn't that complicated a plot mm-hmm. but it's complicated enough that i just kind of like I, I wasn't sure exactly where i was in any given time it's probably it probably has a few too many characters you know kind of kind of wandering well, around yeah it, it, for for nine, like this is pretty much the shortest film of the three what we watched, but yeah. this one, this is the one that feels like it drags a little bit. Yeah, you know? yeah. so yeah. it kind of, it kind of, if I can, if I can comment, it kind of feels a little bit like one of the lesser seventies Doctor Who stories. You know, okay. where there's a little bit of a runaround in like episode three, yeah, where it just happens for a yeah. while. You know, that's that's it. Sort of has that that like impression. You know, like I don't care. Just get me back to the people I care about, and you know, let's watch them be charming together. You know, that's sort of the yeah. As much as I think the the final gunfight is anticlimactic, like there's interesting stuff in it, like visually, like you you get that wide shot at the very first there where it's a square corral with a circle corral in the middle, mm-hmm. so. It's a little bit of a change-up, but at the same time, it's the same as like all the Leone stuff, where all the final battles take place in a circle. Um, in this, in this case, Lee Van Cleef has to walk through a circle and come to the other end of it and, and fight the the three brothers. Um, 
I like how the three brothers, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but this is something I picked up on, and this is something I didn't, I've never seen in any review or talk about it. Uh, and it's just a little thing. But David Saxon, the main guy, he's got a gold-plated gun. Mm-hmm. And then you go to Adam Saxon, he's got a silver-plated gun. And then Sheriff Eli Saxon, he's got like a bronze-plated gun. So it's it's almost like denoting their characters by <laughs> metal <laughs> right. rankings. Your, your, your importance is determined by the quality of your gun. Mm. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Yeah, no. I did not I did not catch that detail, but um yeah, that's interesting. And uh yeah. yeah. Um watching this uh you know at the end I actually thought the dude had like killed Levan Cleats. Yeah, I thought he, he shot him in the head. Like I legitimately thought like holy shit, that's an ending. You know, <laughs> like that, that would have been something. Oh, no. yeah. Didn't go there, but you know, okay. Wing them. <laughs> of course we we are missing the soundtrack. Uh Louis Balakov, um our Bakalov, uh it's Absolutely fantastic, and of course, Quentin Tarantino ripped this one too. So, uh, yep. he he knows he knows he knows the good stuff to fucking uh, take for his own DVD info for this one. There's a 2013 DVD from Blue Underground, it's the one I own. Uh, it's excellent. It's actually got a good little sort of uh, commentary from two journalists who are familiar with uh, Italian cinema. They're not so much familiar with like just exploitation cinema in general, but they are really well versed in just how Italian cinema was done back then. So there's there's a running commentary, no dead spots, lots of good info. Uh, definitely worth picking up if you can find it. Wild East again. They have a Beyond the Law. And the Grand Duel uh, Duel Pack from 2005. Apparently, the print on that is pretty good. And if you want to find the Blu-ray on this, it came out in 2012 from Mill Creek Entertainment of all people, who are well known for doing the uh, 50 movie packs and stuff like that. Yeah. But they do have a respectable line of good prints of uh, films that they do release, especially the Blu-ray stuff. So um, they they have a double pack of the Grand Duel and uh, another Franco Nero Western, which is also kind of a late period spaghetti Western called Kioma, uh, which is one we'll probably cover the next time we come around to these films. But um, awesome. Yeah. So you're saying the Grand Duel is essentially kind of overall kind of your favorite of the three films, though that you? Uh... I think it's, I think it's the most interesting of the three. I would, I would probably, I would probably say, I'd want to watch it again before I'd say my favorite. But um, the one I'd want to, I'd want to come back to first. <laughs> I like all three of these films. I mean, honestly, yeah. I, I really enjoy all three of these. This was, this was a, uh, a real, a real pleasure this week. Even though I kind of had to cram some of this in at the, at the last <laughs> minute, you know, um, for personal reasons. But this, this was definitely like actually this whole spaghetti western series. You've planned very well because there hasn't been a a real stinker in the bunch at all for me. But um, but all three of these, I was... <laughs> my one issue was, like, watching three Lee Van Cleef films, I literally couldn't remember which one was which. Like, yeah, which that, scenes went in which... Because, you know, you watch them all right after one one after another, and you go, like, hold on, which one had the waterfall sequel so the dudes get punched in the face? I can't remember. Is that Spada <laughs> or is that... Okay, no, okay. Yeah, I'd probably... Favorite is probably Death Rides a Horse. I think okay. that's my my favorite right now, but um, I definitely want to revisit all three of these at some point um, in the not-too-distant future. So Yeah, cool. Uh, for, for me, it's a real kind of tight race between Sabata and Death Rides a Horse. Uh, mm-hmm. Sabata, just as much as I appreciate appreciate the kind of uh, grittiness and stuff and just the frankness of Death Rides a Horse, Sabata has this fucking charm that it just mm-hmm. fucking sucks me in every time I watch it. So I don't know, but... Um, 
Well, Sabata's the Sabata's the most fun. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no question. Sabata's the most fun. But I think it's also kind of the. I mean, because it's it's aiming for fun, it achieves fun. That's kind of it. It's kind of the least of the three because it's not really doing anything else. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Okay. I can see that. Amico, c'è sabata. Hai chiuso. <laughs> <laughs>
pubblico. C'è Sabata, hai chiuso.
Okay, now here we're here with Paul for the second part of our conversation, and I'm with Paul, Awkward Hands Ramali. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, pretty good. My Indian name is Fucks with a Fist. Fucks with a Fist? Yes, there you go. Doing good, <laughs> uh, lack of sleep today, but still kicking ass and taking names. So Awesome, but uh, we're, we're back here with some more uh, Lee Van Cleef. I think we can go right first with uh, Death Rides a Horse from 1967. <laughs> uh, what, what are your sort of initial impressions of this one? I want to say it's my favorite of the three mm-hmm. overall. I like it. I just like the revenge complex is done well. The intermingling of the two characters, the the kind of thing that about a lot of these, well, I don't know if this one is technically classified as spaghetti Western. It yeah. probably is. Okay, good. They always have a tarnished hero. They never have a, an actual hero. He's always a bad guy. And no mm-hmm. matter what. And the same, it, it fits the form to a T on that aspect. But he's a soul, he's a good-hearted bad guy that will literally kill anything he needs to. Yeah. And it's one of those deals. Overall, very good movie. Yeah. This sort of draws from the, the kind of character type <laughs> that Van Cleef played in a lot of his films, where he's the older gunfighter who ends up being kind of a semi-mentor, but rival to a younger gunfighter that's, you know, basically they're both trying to achieve the same goal more or less. What what did you think of uh, John Philip Law, though, as, as the younger uh, gunfighter? No, I actually really liked his, his part. I think he did it really well. I, uh, I actually thought he played, he played it. At first, I thought, I was like, wow, this guy's he's a baby face almost in a certain way. But at the same time, you kind of expected that. Yeah. And, but he still played a very, very hard, stone-faced individual. Um, that you know, tall, rugged, stone-faced individual but still meant to, keeping that youthfulness that he, he needs to have. Kind of, it reminds me of a, <clears throat> the, 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 James, the, the James Bond Casino Royale. Go in and try to fuck stuff up, but like fuck up half the time. Yeah. Because he's not experienced enough, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it, it, you sort of get that impression that like Van Cleef's kind of looking over his shoulder like, yeah, you, you, you're going to make mistakes. Like he even says in the movie at, at one point. The, big, the biggest one is uh, lesson number two, count your shots. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. I like that. I like the kind of grasshopper vibe. Yeah, even even <laughs> uses that in Grand Duel uh, later on as well uh, mm-hmm. with with the characters with there. But um, John Philip Law, I think I've seen some people like sort of criticize. Oh, he's kind of wooden in this. No, I just see him as playing it kind of cold, like he's this kid who's traumatized early on. Yeah, exactly. Wouldn't wouldn't you play it wooden? Like if you were traumatized, you know, if you're if you're going after. In my mind, like he would if once he he has a bead on what he wants. You shut off the world around it and you just obsess about getting the bad guy. So he would play it fucking stone cold. Yeah, he's he's got this like really kind of um, controlled <laughs> anger thing going on. Every, every once in a while he explodes, but for the most part you can just sort of see it like seething under his skin. Like he's just, he's ready to jump on somebody. You well, know? they always, I mean, they kind of overuse it to a certain extent, but they always have that kind of, uh, kind of uh, uh, flashbacks of his family, you know, mom and sister getting raped and, uh, you know, and the dad getting shot and his anger thing of like, oh my God, it's that person, I'm going to kill him, you know, so it's interesting. They kind of overdo it to a certain extent, but it works. It works. Yeah. What did you think of the sort of uh, semi-mystery angle to this one? Like, did you... Did you know from the start that Van Cleef was involved with the the robber gang on that night, or did did it did the movie like keep that in the dark for you? Uh, <laughs> it well kept enough? it in the dark enough because 
when you watch a movie and fast forward, you miss some things, some subtle things like that, you know, mm-hmm. you know when you're skipping through. It, it had, it did have a tell. I mean, it was, it was telling. It was, it didn't give it exactly, but there was a definite tell at the beginning of the film. The, you know, the good guy actually came right in. It didn't necessarily say to me at first, just from a brief glimpse at it the first time I watched it, that it was him or if it was exactly associated with the gang or whatever but there was definitely some kind of interlink that would come out later in the film so i wasn't surprised let's just say when it was revealed that you know well i came in late sorry i couldn't do anything about it anyway but i saved your life so fuck you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it was like you know well, kill me right if to. it definitely was telling but it didn't ruin anything for me yeah i just say that i i, th- I think the film does the, like <laughs> It's kind of hard to avoid spoilers, like unless you're just going into this cold. It's hard to not know beforehand that uh, Van Cleef is, you know, involved with that gang, and to a certain extent, uh, John Philip Law's character has every right to kill him as well and gun him down. Mm-hmm. Um, right? Yeah, I, I think this movie does it fairly successfully. Like, it, 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 I mean, unless you're really paying attention and trying to figure out the mystery, it doesn't become super obvious. Um, you, you just sort of get this idea that, oh yeah, Van Cleef has some <laughs> other, like, yeah, he was in the gang, but he's been in prison for 15 years. So you don't know if he was there that night. You don't know if he was double crossed earlier before that, you know, I, I felt that kind of worked pretty well. My, my film that I watched first was this one, mm-hmm. but I didn't look at the titles. I didn't look at the date. So when I was watching the other films, I was hoping it would explain more about this film. And I, yeah. sadly, I didn't get what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, well, like I said before, Van Cleef kind of plays the same character in most of these spaghetti westerns. Like, he just sort of got typecast into a certain role as, like, the <coughs> aging gunfighter mentor. Like, he, he plays, he sort of plays the same kind of thing in uh, Grand Duel, although he's a sheriff in that one. But Yeah, there's um, a, in Kung Fu films, there's a, I can't remember his name. It's like Sun Fu Yang or something like that. That's his name. And, but his, his, his style was to play the old guy that comes in, the beggar. Mm-hmm. that's actually a master and teaches people. I mean, that was his thing. Yeah. <clears throat> like you get in, in, in the uh, Shaw brothers films and stuff, you, you, because it was kind of a company troop kind of thing, like stock characters that they had that showed up in like tons of movies from the studio. You, you always got like some of these people playing exactly the same character over and over again. So, yeah. And you get, a, you get a lot of that in the, the Italian films too, because it was, it was all just, okay, we got a ton of actors. They do this one thing really well. They're known for doing this one thing really well in like a more successful spaghetti Western. So as with <laughs> the Italian film industry, repeat everything that works and just right. keep running it well, to the I ground. Mean, it was, it was the musical industries in the fifties. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, that that was a hit. Make sure every song you do from now on sounds like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The same, same kind of concept. Yeah, go, go with the money. What would you think of how this film kind of looked? Like, I, I thought it was shot really well. Like, this is this is the I first did time not I know that this was a spaghetti western. Oh yeah, because this is the best I've ever seen this film. Like, uh, before I found uh, this print on YouTube, I had only seen like public domain releases of this, which just looked like shit. And honestly, my appreciation for this movie went up tons. Uh, with this watch for the podcast because this is the first well, time I've ever seen it this good. So you gave me the links, so I've never yeah. seen this any of these films before. But I'll tell you, when I was watching, I, I tried to watch Grand Duel first, and uh, and <laughs> I, I was watching, and I watched the other two. But <clears throat> excuse me, these films didn't seem like the classic spaghetti western in my in like and like I'm like this is actually like a real bus not blockbuster, but like a really seriously well done, amazingly filmed western. 
mm-hmm. just in general. So I was like, is this a spaghetti western or is he fucking with me? I'm not really sure. I'll have to ask him later. Death <laughs> Rides a horse, um, especially kind of it kind of moves away from the style a little bit that you kind of come, come to expect with spaghetti westerns. Mm-hmm. Like stuff is starting to move to a more more fantastical kind of comedic kind of style for a lot of spaghetti westerns. But this one goes like <clears throat> this. This one's pretty much dead serious. Like there, there's a little bit of comedy between Van Cleef and uh, and Law, but for the most part, this film's like very violent, very serious, very to mm-hmm. the point, very gritty as fuck. Um, so it, it it does feel like you know what some of the more American westerns that would come out in the preceding decade after this, you know, that were influenced by spaghetti westerns being so gritty, you know. Well, isn't there um. Isn't there another one that's like a pale horse named Death or something like that? Uh, are you thinking of Pale Rider? Pale Rider is Pale Rider. Yeah. With okay. Plenty Spood? Because I was going to say, there's something that came off off this. Because I, wa- I got the title and I watched the film and I'm like, well, the guy's riding like a pale horse. And I was like, there's got to be oh. something, you know, because <clears throat> what I actually, the funny thing is part of me didn't exactly associate the title of the movie with Van Cleef's character. It actually, mm-hmm. I, I more associated it with <clears throat> with the um, the avengeful child character. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's that's because he was just on a killing spree. I'm killing, 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 and I like that kind of funny thing. Like, I'm just gonna play with these guys, Van Cleef's characters. And I'm gonna play with these guys to try to get as much money as humanly possible. Yeah, because he's 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 lost 15 years of his life, so he wants revenge on his gang for double crossing him, but. At the same time, yeah, I want to cash in too because I've got you know my next twenty thirty years are going to be in poverty if I don't fucking do something right away. Mm-hmm. Well, I like I like how I like how um, he starts toying with him, like smashing his hands in the desk every time. He's like, "You're all the same. You're you get all the old, same. You start doing the same things." And I like that he knows they all are established now, and they don't want to lose what they have. But at the same time, they can't go right out and shoot him in public because yeah. they'll lose what they have. And he's just toying with them the whole time. And I'll tell you what, when he actually goes to the next town to meet the second guy involved, mm. I didn't expect the floor to open. That was pretty Yeah, good. that was that was cool, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I, was, that... I, I didn't expect, you know, I didn't expect the guys to just come up from underneath. I expected more like, you know, snakes and voodoo dolls and things like that. I don't know, spikes. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I expected them, but I was like, whoa, that, I did not get that. I didn't expect that at all. I was like, that's pretty fucking good. Yeah, that that was a cool little sort of signature kind of thing too. Is the uh, every every member of the gang had that one like snake spur on on their on their boot or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So, but but yeah, that that was a good little trick. And I mean, he he says, you know, you're all the same. You all got your guns and your drawers or whatever. Like he knows this gang <coughs> from back in the day, and he knows that even though they're you know established now and they're in the upper echelon of society, they're still the same fucking scumbag, and they still do the same shit. You know, they just mm-hmm. hide it. They just hide it better now, right? Yeah, yeah. They just try to protect what they have. Uh, but but yeah, yeah. You're you're over all all thoughts. You you said you thought this was the uh, the best out of all of them. So, yeah, I mean, uh, well, the thing is, it had two different plots working at the same time pretty well, like intermingling because they were basically parallels to each other. Except one was the I don't know what I'm doing, but just shoot people, and the other one was like I'm just trying to get money. Stop shooting these motherfuckers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't don't just wipe them all out because I actually have a plan where I'm going to try to get some of their money and stuff. So my my I'm... favorite joke line from um from the from the young one is uh because Lee Van Cleves is you know back off or I'm going to get mad. 
Yeah. And then he stops and looks at him and goes, if, he think, if I think what he think he is, get ready to get mad. Yeah. Because I'm going to shoot this son of a bitch. He's like, yeah. so get ready to get mad. I'm like, ooh, little testy little bastard, aren't you? That was pretty good. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, will say, I will say I've never seen a, a jailbreak with a train before. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen oxen, I've seen horses, I've seen drunk guys on barrels and like random things like that. I've saw, you know, you no know, wet shirt don't break. No, you said piss shirt Ben Barr in a Jackie Chan film. I've seen all kinds of, of uh, jailbreaks, but I've never seen one with a train before. So I was like, well, congratulations. That, that's, that, that's kind of a thing you see in spaghetti <sighs> westerns too. It's like some of the more uh, standout ones, they generally have like some sort of interesting set piece, whether it be a jailbreak or a... Uh, safe robbery or something like that. Like they ha- they have some sort of elaborate kind of set piece that sets things in- things into motion. Usually you see them at the beginning of the film, but uh, every once in a while, you know, later on in the film. But uh, yeah, and it- it's pretty effective here. You're right. Very very well done. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, we'll move on to Sabata from 1969, and this is this is this is basically. I think this is the film that is designed to just show you how fucking cool Lee Van Cleef is. Like it's, I mean, he threw, move the bitch out of the way so I can start prepare, compare piano. Yeah. I mean, this, he just, I was like, did I just watch this? Yeah. Did this actually just happened. Cause there is no, the whole first 20 minutes of the film is just him being a badass. It just, they're selling this character as hard as they fucking can. You're getting a little later into the spaghetti Westerns. Now they're going to be dead by about the mid seventies. Um, this is much more kind of playing off the, uh, more comedic aspects, and it's also at this time you're seeing uh, James Bond becoming like a big influence on these sort of things. So mm-hmm. they were kind of implementing that. Mm-hmm. Like th- there's there's just gadgets all through this fucking thing, like trick guns, trick weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lee Q Van- was there. The Western Q was inventing things at some point. <laughs> Someone, some there's got to be someone there doing that shit. Well, because- I'll tell you what. The one thing that I can definitely tell that that uh, Death Rides a Horse did not have as much as Sabata is eye candy. Oh yeah. Yeah. They just took the eye candy to that next level. I'm like, Oh, good. good. Yeah. The, nice they definitely, yeah. I mean, uh, the roles of women in all three of these films are pretty minimalized, especially in they Death are, Rides they, well, of they are definitely accurate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This period. The way period. things are supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. Period accurate, you know, like, uh, mm-hmm. period accurate. But, but here, at least you get you get some women to actually look at, and even a couple of them have some lines. So you know, <laughs> a, a little bit different from Death Rides a Horse. But yeah, uh, Lee Van Cleef is like presented as like just the ultimate fucking badass in this, mm-hmm. and he just he just fucks with everybody through the I, whole movie. The whole thing that you'll get out of these films is guns are not are like the secondary like shooting people that doesn't actually matter we use it to open things and take things off and undress women and take bells off guys shoulders and fuck this and make barrels explode well shooting guys that's just a secondary thing yeah yeah i mean we break we break fucking legs we break you know chair legs we make guys eat their soup we've been like this is yeah it is it's fun i mean this especially sabata just has a lot of moments like that where it's just fun gunplay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this this was basically like I said, this kind of designed to uh, riff on the sort of uh, more spy genre kind of spaghetti westerns and comedy genre spaghetti westerns without going full blown comedy. Like it's it's just kind of like funny moments and mm-hmm. uh, stuff that catches your eye, and uh, it, it's also sort of built upon. Lee Van Cleef aping his look he had in the uh, for a few dollars more 
sort of playing that sort of same character where he's got the black clothes. He's got that sort of, uh, I don't know what the fuck it's called, but the sort of cape kind of thing. The duster. Yeah, he's got the duster and he's got the, he has the Undertaker look. And I like that. I like him in that look. I like that. He was a little more ragtag in in, uh, Death Rise of Horse. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And, and, you know, trying to rebuild after being in jail for 15 years, you wouldn't expect him to have something that's really nice. Yeah, and uh, so so he's he's kind of playing off his Colonel Mortimer character from for a few dollars more, and he's got sort of the same. I like actually that character kind of preceded the sort of more spy influence characters that would come later because Colonel Mortimer was kind of a specialist, like he had some unique guns and stuff like that. Here it's just taken like tenfold. He's got all these sort of like unique weapons and tricks up his sleeve, you know? Well, I mean, they keep on telling like, a gun can't shoot that far. Oh, I'm dead. Like, mm-hmm. like he keeps on saying, oh, 600 yards. That's great. You know, I'm like, wow, okay, yeah, that's pretty good because there's guns now that can't shoot that fucking far. So, yeah. but like, yeah, he, he he's trying to be the specialist of yeah, the well, Western he's, world. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a, um, almost like, we were saying how uh, Django kind of has almost kind of a supernatural quality to him as far as sh- shooting and stuff. Sabata is definitely he's he's a trick shooter. Like he's he's he's, he's a very good sharpshooter trick mm-hmm. shooter like to the point where I one of the almost to the detriment of this film, I never bought at any time that Sabata was in, in any trouble at all because I always yeah. knew he was going to be able to shoot his way out of shit, right? Right, right, right. Like yeah, but yeah, and then something like in Django when you see him get really fucked up, you question that. Mm-hmm. But with Sabata, you know, it's like, no, nah, it's all be all right. It's good. Yeah. Now, they did, like you mentioned the James Bond thing, they do do the arch nemesis very well in this film. That I mm-hmm. am this egomaniacal sociopath, that um, I am so much better than the other human race, and I am this and this. And he's reading the inequality of the social standard book. Yes. You know, and yes. quoting things out of it to be like, oh, by the way, and every time I'm going to, you know, quote this book, I'm going to shoot some bitch. You know, yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. I thought it was very interesting. Uh, of, of, of course, the first time it's actually shown where he's duping the guy with the balls, mm-hmm. with the black and white balls, he doesn't use that. They go right back. They go right into shooting each other. Yeah, yeah. But then later, uh, it comes into the play later, and that was really nice because getting blackballed is actually a Masonic thing. Oh, okay. It, yeah, because that was originally stated to get people into the the Masons. If you uh, all had white balls, you were good because that's how they cast their votes with white balls and black balls. If you got one single black ball in your vote, you weren't allowed in. So that's where that came from. So that's the Masonic. Oh. That's a Masonic oh, that's thing. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. Uh, and like the first the first instance of that just goes into shooting because the guy he kills wasn't interested in playing the game. He just wanted to shoot out with the guy. He just wanted to shoot the play. Yeah. yeah. I love I love his his like contradicting piece of shit line about how I like to live on the edge, the edge of death. You know the whole. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's 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 it seems like it is, but all your all the you're edging everything to your favor. The stakes are all in your favor. You're, yeah, like, that's not living on the edge of death. That's fucking a guy. Yeah, he's he's he he is a master kind of manipulator. Like he rigs everything in his favor. So I mean, yeah. he's not taking a chance at all. Like it 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 takes Sabata coming into his life to actually put him on that edge he needed the wild card to fuck him over is whatever and like i they they really picked the right character to show this like snooty almost i don't know how to describe that upper echelon weird because he's very effeminate oh yeah he's he's definitely playing like uh, again with spaghetti westerns they don't treat women very well they don't treat gays very well either like he he's very much the evil 
sadistic gay guy who likes to kill people you know like i mean you know there i mean if if, if people are going to be offended by anything in this film it, it would probably be that and you know well whatever get over it. it's a fucking movie but we're at this time i am not surprised when some fucking limp-wristed idiot is offended by anything anymore i'm never surprised like I, they're gonna get offended by me just saying it like that i'm just never surprised i mean they didn't even use a native american to play a native american yeah yeah i mean that's uh, gonna piss like most people off just in general yeah Tucker <laughs> can jump though. Oh he yeah, can jump. Tucker yeah. can jump. You know. Yeah, that was that, that. was another thing that was sort of coming in the movies at that point for spaghetti western. Like they were doing the spy thing. Uh, they were doing more comedy, and they were throwing stunt work into shit. Like lots mm. of stunt work, supernatural stunt work. <laughs> there, there's no way that guy jumps off that fucking roof without breaking his fucking kneecaps. Like, boing, 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 boing. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. Well, I like it. But what, they, what, even, they even have Lee Van Cleef do that in one scene. Yeah, but it's not Van Cleef. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Maybe. Yeah, but I was yeah. like, he would have fucking fucked himself up so bad if he jumped off that building. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, like, yeah. Cause... Okay, if you can make Alley Cat do this, yeah, he's a Native American. He's in a good shape. He's young. Sure, whatever. But could you not have fucking uh, Sabata do it because he's gonna break his legs? Yeah, I didn't. Can... I didn't buy that for one second. No, at least he could at least, least jump on his horse or something. Yeah, because uh, if if anything, they play Sabata as like the master kind of. He, he's he's a great trick shooter, sharpshooter, and he's a master manipulator. He's always like a couple steps ahead of everybody. He doesn't need to do anything like that. He 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 already knows. He's already got his game plan set out before him. He doesn't need to jump off a fucking roof or anything. And Van Cleef, there's no way he could have done that because by that point he had had his uh, uh, car accident which had uh, broken his arm in two places and had broken his uh, fucking kneecap. So he was effectively crippled uh, for quite a while. Just to go to show what a tough motherfucker Van Cleef was, his doctor told him he'd probably never walk again without like a, a massive limp. But he managed to overcome that. But he was, you know, he was in pain for the rest of his life. But he, right, he did right. actually pick himself up and overcome that shit. So there's definitely a lot of interesting tells that weren't tells at first, but when you rewatch it, like uh, when when uh, when he talks to Banjo, when Banjo's asking for money, and he he puts like when he's talking about the uh, chest they steal, it turns out he's he's like, hey, by the way, make yourself look like a fucking painting because they're coming in to shoot you. Like I love that. Yeah. Like I was like that so awesome oh wow and he did it so well i mean like two or three different times where he fucks with the trained killers Mm -hmm. and makes them just pull rookie mistakes yeah it's great and like you said there's you don't have to worry about him in the film you're like oh he's just gonna kill everybody the the only guy who's in any danger of killing him is banjo and like throughout the most most of the film it's so back and forth like you don't know whether banjo's on his side or whether banjo is you know going to plot against him Mm -hmm. and even Banjo doesn't really know. Like Banjo plays it like he's he's always he, you know he's planning as well, and but he's always saying in the film, "I'm just waiting, I'm just waiting, I'm just, I'm going to see what happens." I'm, you know, I'm on whatever side. I'm on uh, whatever side fits good right now. And he Did, can't he can't get away from the fact that he's a bit of a scumbag. Yeah, like if you would have just not fucked anybody over, you could have got half of everything. But okay. yeah, had to be the dick. Well, yeah, Banjo's a massive fucking dick. Like, he's got yeah. women throwing themselves at him, and he's, I'm just passing through town, baby. See you later. And she's the best eye candy in the film. Yeah, and he and he waits until she packs up her bags and comes to him at the wagon, and he's like, oh, 
Didn't I already tell you? I'm just passing through town. See you yeah. later, bitch. And then he's under yeah. there. Like, Did you think you're coming? Did. And it, and it, and it actually it gave you that that little house on the prairie happy ending music too. Yeah. When they're going to the the wagon and I'm, oh, and he just is like, oh wait, you're actually thinking you're coming with me? Gotta yeah. go. Yeah. Sorry. See, I'm like, oh fuck me, man. He's one of my favorite spaghetti western characters of all time, and he almost steals this film from Lee Van Cleef. Like he's that fucking good. I just kind of wish Banjo had some cool stuff too, like you know, because he was pl- he had a shotgun when he shot Lee Van Cleef in the neck to even up. Yeah, I thought it'd be great if the banjo had a gun in it. It did. Like, oh, it did did it? Because I, I was like, I wasn't sure. <laughs> okay, was, I was like, Here, here's where here's where the here's where the fast forwarding hurts you, sir. Okay, because like I thought he was holding a shotgun when he shot Lee Van Cleef that time. Oh yeah, he like, did. But uh, but he he did one of his gimmicks was he did have a he did have a a space okay. in his banjo where he had a gun. So like there's the scene where uh, it's it's implied early on in the film that Banjo is running from somebody. That's why he's in the same town. He just happens to be there and he runs into Van Cleef. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I. I ran into some problems up north or whatever, and now I'm hiding yeah. out here. And then this fucking gang shows up looking for him, and he has to fight them on the streets, and there's like four or five guys. And he's just got his banjo, and he's strumming it. And then he fucking wipes them all out because he's got the fucking shotgun. In the, in the, the banjo. Yeah, well, not shotgun, but rifle. He's got it in the, in the fucking banjo, and he just... And he, he shows off that the fact that, yeah, he's as good as Van Cleef. Like, he's yeah, just... I completely missed that. Ah, That's well, there you go. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I must go back have, and yeah. go back and must rewatch have, them. Must have had a bathroom break. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, that that one I actually completely don't even remember seeing, and I actually watched the bottom. No, yeah, that's pretty crazy. And that that was his gimmick. Like, and it was cool. Like he's got the he's got the fucking uh, lever action rifle or whatever. So um, he's got that like opened up, and he's and he just points the fucking banjo and goes. Yeah, I like that and. There's a lot of things about this film that I really, really like, and I'm not actually sure which one's my favorite. Really like Death Rides a Horse, but I did like Sabata quite a bit too. Yeah, so Sabata for me, I keep going back and forth, but I think I gotta edge at Sabata just because it's so well done. Like it mm-hmm. starts out with the fucking robbery of the of the bank, which oh, is really yeah. Really well done. Really it's got well like done. a couple different plots going on because you got the robbery of the bank. You got the initial thieves. They're just pawns being used by the main bad guys who are the sort of upper echelon guys in the town mm-hmm. who are trying to rob the, the a bank. Little, little high high class oligarchy. They kind of let, yeah. make sure, yeah. And the, those thieves are wiped out like early on in like the first act of the film. The plot changes. Like you think, okay, it's it's going to be about Sabata hunting down these thieves. No, it's the fucking uh, upper echelon guys that he's going after. Yeah, there's all these different little plot points going. Then and Banjo has his own plot stuff going on. Uh, the other two guys... Shit, do I have their fucking names here? Karincha, I guess is the fucking name, is the the, the, the drunk guy who's got, yeah. his, he's got his war medal or whatever that isn't worth mm-hmm. shit to anybody, but <laughs> saves him in the end, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, leave your lice alone. Yeah. <laughs> you lice farmer. <laughs> and then uh, Alley Cat, which is... He's almost kind of a ripoff of uh, Navajo Joe, uh, the Burt Reynolds uh, Indian. From... 
<laughs> but uh, but he's much more acrobatic, of course. Every time uh, I see every time I see a fucking Native American character that's not Native American, I just think of F Troop. And every time I saw Klinger play a fucking Native American, it was just awesome. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a spaghetti western. They're not gonna pay the money to fly some Native American over to the to Italy and or Spain and. Uh, and fucking uh, and shoot them. You know, they're just going to like, okay, uh, we'll find some guy who vaguely looks semi-Native American-ish, and we'll, we'll probably go get some bronzer. We'll yeah, we'll some get bronzer. some bronze on him, some spray Put a fucking tan. big craggly wig on that bitch, and there you go, yeah. stick a feather up his ass and call him a bird. I mean, I when, like you think, when you think about it, look back at the uh, two Indians that were in uh, Django Kill. Mm-hmm. They... They did not look like Indians at all. No. <laughs> no. I mean, I mean, like, um, was it uh, Lon Chaney Jr. played a Native American in a few things? Yeah, like, well, we're... fucking John Wayne played Genghis Khan in a movie. So that's I, awesome. So you know, you know. He, that's that's it's fucking I mean, the movie. Well, Yul Brenner did do The King and I, so yeah. there you go. I mean, life's fucked. Yeah, and you'll Brenner... called acting, goddammit. And uh, Yul Brenner played Sabata in the sequel. Uh, adios, yeah, adios, Sabata. He played Sabata in the sequel, and then Lee Van Cleef came back in the third one, uh, the Return of Sabata. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that that's a bit of a switch, isn't it, from Van Cleef yeah. to Earl Brenner? That's definitely a switch. Yeah, that's mm. uh, no, that is that's a big switch. Uh, like but, that's the thing is like you like Sabata like or Van Cleef was never that. I mean, I'm I'm assuming there were there were women that were like heartthrobbed about the guy, obviously. Because, I mean, fucking was it uh, Sam Elliott? Women love Sam Elliott, and he's ugly as fuck. Uh, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd say Sam Elliott a, is a handsome-ish kind of guy. Yeah, 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 I know, but maybe it's just, maybe, you know, I don't find him as attractive as some people do. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I just, like, I, he, I don't, just, he just I don't turns take, me on. He just turns me on. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't really want to take the cock. I mean, I might, you know, if he's nice, <laughs> but, like, he has to work for it. Let's just say that. Uh, well, well, I mean, yeah, but yeah, Van Cleef is a decidedly kind of ugly dude. Like he, yeah. he is, but but he's got that, but he's got that charisma and that like he's just, got charisma, and he he's got that style, but he's got a little bit of a ferret face, just a touch of one, but like yeah, not well, too bad. He's got that innate manliness though. Like he's just like oh, cool yeah. and tough, and it's it's funny. Like when he started early on acting, like when he was doing westerns in the fifties and stuff, he was told. We'll give, we'll, we'll give you this role if you get a nose job and fix your fucking nose. And he's like, "No, I'm not doing it." Yeah. So, so he had a he had a sort of a small career in the '50s or so where he was just doing like second bad guy from the left and like cl- right. classic westerns and shit. But then it just came to his advantage when uh, he was brought on for the spaghetti westerns. Like all of a sudden, he became an iconic kind of figure. And, he, and no one else looks like him. Like, <laughs> there's nobody else out there who looked like him. So that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, one thing I can say about Sabata that I can't say about the other two is the music is amazing. I like it, and it's a little bit different from your standard spaghetti western theme too. It's, it's this Italian church organ music that just kind of haunts the whole scene mm-hmm. a lot of times. And it's very reminiscent of the same sound. And it's a different tone. Obviously, it's more of a higher pitch tone. It's a little bit lo-fi. But it's the same kind of quality that I find with the organ music from The Howling. Oh, yeah. Because it's, a, it's the same Italian, it's a, a Italian composer that did the music for The Howling. And he found oh. an old church organ in an abandoned church, basically. And he made all this fucking music. And it sounds so reminiscent and, and haunting. 
in yeah. a good way for me. And then, of course, you got the main theme as well is kind of different than what you expect from Spaghetti Westerns. It's much more of this sort of up-tempo kind of uh, Mexican kind of uh, thing going. You know, it's not... Plus, you get the banjo music. Yeah, yeah. I love it when she shoots a string off. You're out of tempo. Yeah, you're out of tempo. Yeah. And you know what? Okay, let's let's say this uh, before I forget. There's been a lot of times in this film when they use music and they use these cut shots to build and build and build and build and build um, some pretty nice scenes. Because I thought, you know, Banjo and he were gonna fight off right on the shit, uh, right on the stairs. So I was just waiting for, you know, the Banjo to go off, if you know what I mean. And then yeah. he ended up turning it up right at the end and shooting his string off and and making a joke about it. But I'm like, God, there's some pretty good tension scenes in this film, too. Yeah. I, that, that's, that's, I think that's the best part of the film is because you don't really know where Banjo's loyalties lie because you get the impression that they were both really roguish kind of ne'er-do-wells back in the early days when they knew each mm-hmm. other and they've run into each other again. And Banjo's like, you've gone a bit soft. You're You're more of a nice guy than you used to be. What the fuck's going on? And at the same time, he's sort of playing the angles like, hmm, who's going to end up with the money? Who should I fucking side with? You know, yada, right, yada, right. yada. And I mean, they, they want their money back in the end. They'll shoot me no matter what. Now, I might actually be able to work with this guy and steal yeah. his money. You know what I mean? That kind of deal. Mm-hmm. One thing that you'll find continuously through all the spaghetti westerns is, is you're touching on these characters that are completely opportunistic bastards. Yeah. And we'll yeah. fuck anybody and anybody how to get the money in the end. Well, uh, Clint Eastwood's uh, Man of No Name in, in the uh, Sergio Leone films, um, although he does sort of develop a conscience later on, he, he's very much like he's a fucking outlaw. Like, he, he's, he's not evil, but he's like, uh, I don't know, would, would the Dungeons and Dragons alignment be like... Uh, Chaotic evil or chaotic, chaotic neutral? No, no. Chaotic, chaotic neutral, neutral, I think, yeah. maybe, or yeah. chaotic good or something yeah, like chaotic that. Chaotic good, yeah. See, yeah. <laughs> well, now, we just went total fucking dork, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I still but... have my dice somewhere, so I understand. Like, <laughs> I always did chaotic neutral, so I understand. But no, that's definitely – like, and I actually thought about The Man With No Name, that mm-hmm. film, because the film's called Sabata. Yeah. But at the end, what is your name? Didn't I mention it? He, he laughs and dry, walks away, and I'm like, yeah. or rides away. I'm like, perfect. I was like, God, it just made me think of that same thing as this this no namer came in, and like, yeah. where did they even get the name Sabata from? Like, he never yeah. mentioned his name, you know, that it's, kind of thing. It doesn't does sound like a white guy name anyway, you know. So. Sabata, Sabata. <laughs> so it was obviously yeah. like a title imbued on him, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So I think we can move on now to uh, Grand Duel. We don't um, need to. <laughs> I literally I, have nothing to say about this film. So that this this one is is late period uh, spaghetti western. Um, it, it does kind of herald back to like the earlier stuff in a way because it it doesn't really have all that much comedy or anything going in it. It's it's it goes back to more of a kind of Leone kind of thing. But but what did what did you think at the very least uh, overall? If you, if you can give any sort of impression on it, there. <laughs> well, the impression. I mean, one thing I did notice about the film. Is it really focused in on making the upper echelon really bad? They, they control, and the control needs to be taken away from them by killing them. I mean, that was very, very blatant and very, very fil- um, close into the film, mm-hmm. and it stuck the whole way through. That these guys are really bad and they're really rich, and you have to kill them 
or they'll never stop being bastards. That kind of thing. Yeah. Overall, the film is is interesting. I like kind of like how they kind of played off of it. Like you know, you're not trying to be a nice guy. You just want the money, you bastard. And yeah. he always wants the fucking money. Ryan, I guess they call him Ryan in that. Yeah. Movie. Ryan always wants the money, and if that's the thing from every single Sabata film or or Lee Van Cleef film, I, I should say that I felt he just wants the fucking money. <laughs> I, 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 he, I'm sure he would be fine with going a whole film without shooting anybody. Of course, yeah, he has to shoot the buttons off women. And he has to shoot doors open because, you know, you can't use your hands. But no. I'm sure he would just be happy using his bullets for that and then getting money for it. You know what I mean? Like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the thing about, like, I don't get this. Like, I get this, yeah, he's done bad shit. But I never get this, he's a bad person vibe out of the guy, ever. Mm-hmm. He is the good guy. He just happens to be, you know, one of the guy who fucked up a lot growing up. Yeah, uh, in this one, he's um, he's basically a sheriff who's pushed to the edge of, you know, taking the law into his own hands because mm-hmm. vigilante. The uh, the three brothers there, the Saxons, who are they, they basically own the whole fucking area, all the towns and stuff in the area. They can't be brought to justice. Like they've he he says somewhere in in part of the film there that. The Saxons have basically bought the judges and shit, so um, the Saxons are <laughs> hell-bent on uh, getting the rights to the silver mine, and uh, they're killing it. anyone who stands in their way to do it, but at the same time, they've got everyone in their fucking pockets, so no one's going to prosecute them or go after them for whatever they fucking do. So Van Cleef has basically taken upon himself to go after them. But early in the film, it's not explicitly spelled out that that's what he's doing. Because at first he, he seems like he's trying to play the angles, whether he wants to uh, take the young, young guy into custody and, and cash in on his bounty, uh, mm-hmm. Philip, Philip Wormer. Because, yeah, early on it just seems like, okay, he's just kind of, it's not really spelled out that he's a sheriff so much. It's like maybe he's a sheriff, but he turned into a bounty hunter and he's going mm-hmm. after this guy. Well, I remember the one part where like, they were all there. He's like, I'm not trying to stand in the way of law, but. You don't give a fuck about this. You just want the money. You're like, yeah. you know, and I'm like, yeah, he's trying to be the sheriff, but he just wants the money in the end. Yeah, but, like, but yeah, that's typical. Yeah, but uh, in, in the end, it turns out he's actually just been sort of playing that angle and making people mm-hmm. think that. And the yeah. reality, he is a sheriff who is trying to bring the law to the area, but the only way he can do it is by kind of going death wish and you know becoming a vigilante. Well, and I mean, it basically, it, feel, it feels like uh, uh, Four Horsemen, the beginning of the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. The only way they could do it is just to fucking just slaughter everybody in the town and start fresh. You gotta, yeah, you but, gotta have that vigilante kind of thing. Yeah, like, well, but uh, but I mean, at least in this case, it's it's for noble motives. It's no not way. a bunch of religious fanatics just trying to wipe yeah. out all the people they don't like. Yeah, uh, Lee Van Cleef finds himself stuck in a position where there's no way I can bring these guys to justice. I can't pr- prosecute them or anything. <laughs> but I, if I disgrace myself as a sheriff and then go incognito and run around, I can somehow manipulate the situation to the point where I can get these guys murdered and killed mm-hmm. and get them the fuck out of the way. And at and the it- same time, keep uh, Philip Wormer alive because he's the guy who has the basically the inheritance to the silver mine you know right and he can train him a little bit like a little grasshopper like he does yeah yeah it's it's got that same thing that like we talked about where van cleef is you know he's the mentor and and the the younger guy is the kind of student 
slash rival, you know, because he doesn't quite know what Van Cleef's up to, so they're butting heads against each other. What did you think of the mystery of this one? Do you think it was revealed too soon? Because I think that's the biggest problem with this film, personally, is that you know right away, like, well, not quite right away, but pretty quickly into it, that Van Cleef is the guy who killed uh, the three brothers' father early on, mm-hmm. like, because that's, that's kind of the central mystery of the whole thing. No, no, no. Everything was pretty much played out pretty easily in the film. I mean, I, I knew the no. sheriff thing. I did. I mean, it's just the film just didn't grab me. Like overall, yeah. like it wasn't a bad film, and, and everything was pretty much plain forward. It just the film. It was a film that just did not, for some reason, grab me. It was just. It, it I didn't. Slows, want, I didn't it? want to take a tweezer and pull every one of those weird things off that one guy's face. But like <laughs> you know, I just didn't like. I mean, I didn't even like. I just want the guy to die, but I don't even care that it's painful. Like, I just, like, I didn't really feel anything too much about this this particular film like I did the other two. Like, this is the way I felt about it, that um, it starts off kind of, you know, with, like, a big action set piece, kind of. Like, it, it starts off kind of big, and then mm-hmm. it just slows the fuck down. Like, yeah. the whole middle part of the film, it's this, it's this mystery that isn't a mystery because... You know right away, pretty much, that Van Cleef is the guy who killed their, the the mm-hmm. three brothers' father. I was so, simply waiting for the duel at the end. Yeah, and the duel at the end isn't all that and good either. And the duel at the end sucked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I was like, ah, oh, are you serious? Like, boom, boom, boom. That's it. Okay, that's that was totally unclimactic. Like, I thought it would be like a gun, like you know, an actual gunfight. The whole deal is like, no, it was just a. You know, shoots it, it fucks the guy up because he shoots his hat off, and then just you know, like, the end. I'm like, wow, that was uh, okay. Yeah, least film, least favorite film. Yeah, did you think it would have been better if all three of the brothers had like separate duels? With no, him? I think I thought it would be more of a flanking situation. Okay, yeah. Instead of right in front of your face, like if they flanked them, it'd be great because at the right at the end one of the brothers could almost have the upper hand and then the young kid could have shot the son of a bitch and saved Van Cleef's life. And then, you know, Van Cleef's like, well, you know, you're alive. There's a silver mine. I'll get my sheriff badge and then we'll walk off to the sunset. That would have worked better too, I think. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. I did like the bad guys. Like, I, I think I think the biggest disappointment for me in this film is that the final duel kind of cheats the bad guys of having, like, a really cool moment. Like, And they were really, really bad guys. So, yeah, yeah they, they should have had something a little bit more epic as far as the death goes because yeah, uh I, again you have the uh the evil gay guy is one of the brothers you know <sighs> with with yeah. the fucking he's got the he's got the uh pock uh the chicken pox scars basically is what he's yeah. got there yeah he's got um, the pox yeah uh I, I really like that scene where he kills that old guy and then the old and guy in, in there military and yeah and he touches like oh my god you're touching with your blood oh my yeah god, he touched me with your blood god damn it and i'm surprised uh, you didn't just like start shooting the shit out of him like in the film like i yeah. thought he'd have like a little like oh my god i have to do laundry rage because <laughs> nobody likes doing laundry you know what i'm saying yeah but by re- come out. i think that was my favorite character in the film though because when he when he shoots his gun after he shoots his gun, he takes a fucking his scarf and blows away the fucking gun smoke to get it out of his oh. fucking face. Oh. Oh. Yeah, he, like, he, was just, he was really great. Like he played it up so fucking well. I really like that. He actually a little bit reminded me, just very, 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 very little bit though, of um, of the characters from the old. Um, oh God, I can't even remember what the fucking film is that they based the. Uh, 
he, he the film he would he based uh, uh, his character off the old Batman comics that we did we covered the old gangster film. Oh, um, oh, Kiss of Death. Kiss of Death. That's it. Thank you. The name escaped me as soon as I tried to say it. And uh, the bat the. Yeah. yeah, he's got he's got he's got that sort of Tommy Udo kind Tom, of Tommy Udo, yeah, yeah a little bit. Tommy, yeah. He's got the Tommy Udo vibe a little bit in there, and I was picking on up, up on that a little bit. Yeah, he, he just doesn't have the sort of uh, maniacal quality to him. But, but no, he, no, he doesn't have the. He's just a real, real bad person, though. Like, yeah, it's just like wow. Okay, I mean, both Sabat and so uh, and and this one have the same thing. Yeah, they have that that upper echelon hoity-toity, but absolutely complete bastard of a person. Yeah, as a as a bad guy, that you really want to see killed, you know. And his sheriff brother is just an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's he's almost not really a evil guy. He's just like a he's just really dumb, and he mm-hmm. just goes along with whatever his brothers say and do, you know, for, mm-hmm. for the for the most part. So you can kind of feel a little bit bad for him, but at the same time, it's like, nah, you're a moron as well. So yeah. I don't feel too bad. You, for you still him. deserve to die. So <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah. So yep, overall, okay, so, there you go. I'll ask you though. Did you catch like in the final duel um, the fact that uh, the main brother he had a gold plated gun, mm-hmm. uh, the the effeminate brother had a silver plated gun, and the dumb sheriff brother had a bronze plated gun. So it, it went like a descending order. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. And the third place winner is this dumb fuck. Yeah, <laughs> you know that kind of thing. The man with the golden gun. Yeah, maybe that's why he had a golden gun too. Yeah. The, the Bond thing, but uh, but I do agree. There's not much to say about Grand Duel. I mean, it Van Cleef is Van Cleef is good in it. Uh, the young guy isn't super great. Like he almost reminded me of the guy from from the uh, Django Django Kill. Was it Django Kill? Uh, or, or was it the? Um, it was one of the other Django's that that unfortunately I don't think I did. I didn't watch it. But uh, oh no, it was the one where the um, yeah he comes back to life after like they yeah, Django, got kill. Django kill like, like he got yeah with a scruffy beard. He reminded me of him yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and it's just just like him. He didn't really live up to the character I was hoping he would. I didn't think he was that great of an actor. I think that's the biggest problem. Is like he he just kind of. Van Cleef just kind of runs circles around him, and it was so noticeable that it was like, I don't really care about this guy's story at all. But Van Cleef was really good in it. Like, I, I think he does a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he does a great job of pretty much everything. Yeah, out of all three, the worst acting I saw in the whole series is is in, in Sabat, is Sabata, when the one chorus girl pulls out like a thing of liquor and tries to drink it and hiccups right after it. I'm like, that's the worst <laughs> acting in the whole fucking three things. So, I mean, like, as long as you're better than this bitch, you can do this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah. So I, I think actually we're in pretty much agreement here. Like I, I, I think I kind of edged Sabata slightly over death rides a horse, but I mean, it's kind of splitting hairs at this point, yeah. but I think we're both in agreement. Uh, grand duel kind of, kind of falters. Like it could have never happened. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, We'd we'd be no different with or without it, really. But I mean, it, it's still got a pretty badass Lee Van Cleef performance in it, at the very least, mm-hmm. and some cool villains who deserved a better movie. I think that's kind of, right. Yeah, but like all, all these all these different films, you can see where they 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 took some from other films in the future. Like some they some films in the future took from these films, like they were yeah. influenced. You can definitely see some definite influence from these films. And it's interesting how you said like. They were getting influenced by films of the time too, mm-hmm. 
of different genres, obviously, but films of the time. And then yeah. watching, I, I watch these spaghetti westerns, and I see stuff that I can notice in future films. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Paul, tell people where can they find you on the uh, internet? PaulRomali.com for some paintings and stuff. Oil paintings for Paul by oil paintings by P Romali on Facebook, and then just go on to PA Brew News, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Porno Hub. Everything. <laughs> Red tube. Red tube. X hamster. Yeah. So <laughs> that, there you go. Right on. Uh, okay. And uh, we'll get to the uh, ending segment of this and uh, we'll say our goodbyes. And uh, thank you, Paul, for joining me. Good. Fun to talk to you about these films. And uh, we'll be back again. Yep. Adios. Amigo. Adios. So yeah, uh, next week we're going to be doing. Uh, we had to drop one episode out of the uh, out of the list because we want to try to keep this confined to this month as much as possible. Uh, so we're going to be going straight into the Great Silence from Sergio Cabrucci next week, uh, which should be a lot of fun. We're getting to a really super serious fucking spaghetti western uh, <laughs> next week. It's, it's not going to be Lee Van Cleef giving that grin and uh, trick shooting. Uh, it's going to be something different. Yeah, we should have covered Sabata and the Great Silence in one episode. That would have been a oh, total oh, mismatch of effort. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, but uh, Daniel, where can people uh, find you on the interwebs? Um, I do some podcasting over at oyspaceman.com. If you've listened to this, you probably know all of that stuff. Um, science fiction television mostly. Doctor Who and Red Dwarf, that's kind of the two big ones. But a uh, little odds and ends kind of splattered in there as well go check it out um and i uh write a weekly-ish column or so uh, over at originalpress.com so go check that out as well and of course you can find all of our stuff at tmbdos.podbean.com find our youtube itunes and facebook links facebook group they must be destroyed on site is the best place to get in contact with us keep up to date with what's going on with the podcast and uh we definitely welcome all interactions from people leave us comments questions doesn't even have to be necessarily related to the films that we're going to be doing that week. Uh, you just want to throw something at us, you know, ask us yeah. a question, give us movie suggestions that you want to see us cover. Uh, that's what we're, that's what we put the page up for to interact yeah, so, with people. Listening. Really, really. I mean, you know, I think, I think we'll cover just about anything. So it's really just like, you know, what, what, if you're listening to this, what do you want to listen to us talk about? Yeah. So, Cause uh, uh, Cameron Sullivan just, put like a couple ideas in the last week or so like the iron eagle films i think we might do that <laughs> you know um that that sounds remarkable like i i am literally he said that and i went perfect that sounds like the exact thing that we should be covering on this show yeah because uh, after october uh, which we've already got basically planned out uh it's kind of free for all again. We're just going to do whatever the fuck I was already talking with James Murphy. And he was like, uh, he heard, he was listening to the, uh, Django kill episode and he heard how Alex Cox did a remake called straight to hell. He's like, I want to do that film. It's like, okay, well fucking November. We'll fucking do it. Why not? Well, yeah, we got, we got some odds and ends coming up. I think, I think maybe no series, just do some, do some, uh, do some odds and ends for the rest of the yeah. year after October. It'll be fun. Cause we definitely still want to do the left behind episode at some point And, uh, yeah, know. I was kind of thinking, I was looking at Lee Van Cleef and some of this, and I started going, like, especially in um, Sabata, where, no, uh, particularly in uh, actually the Grand Duel, where he kind of looks a little bit, you know, mysterious and kind of uh, samurai like. And I was like, we should mm-hmm. do some samurai films. Like, we should do, we should that is, into that, that is, you know? That is in the plans, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that would be, 
more in the month series, I think. Um, sure, sure, we, yeah. we will be we will be digging into samurai films at some point. And I mean, uh, fuck, um, listeners out there, because that's not set in stone what films we're going to cover. If we were going to do samurai films, what ones would you want to see us do? Until next week when we do The Great Silence, uh, thank you for joining me, Daniel. Nice to be here. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For past episodes, links to the host's other stuff, and links to various podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can also find our iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook links. 
Please join our Facebook group, as this is the best way to get in contact with us and to keep up to date with what's coming up on the podcast. We also can be found as part of the Oi Spaceman family of podcasts at oispaceman.com, where you can find various sci-fi-themed podcasts about Doctor Who, Red Dwarf, Firefly, and classic sci-fi novels. If you decide to subscribe to us through iTunes, please take a moment to leave us a star rating and a review. Thank you. Drive through.